And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Fortified with coffee and spite. Just because. We are live from the bunker. Everybody say hi, Todd. Good to have all of you with us today. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Lots of news to get to uh, today in this first hour. Busy, 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 busy. It's almost like it's almost like people realize that we came back, and so let's put all the news out. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Um, where did I see that? All right. So is the audio is the audio good? RV Life over on Odyssey. Let me know if the audio is back. I reset the stream. So, shout out, uh, speaking of audio, shout out to those of you who are listening to this as a podcast. We're on a number of different players. We are live, so you can jump in the chat, and you can call in in the third hour. If you're here in replay, you can leave a comment, of course, the email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi4b.com. Uh, okay, good. Audio got, got there. Sometimes, I don't know what it is about that. Uh, the audio bug over on Odyssey is a constant thing. It has been since streaming started over there. And they haven't been able to track it down either. So I'll have to send them a note as well. Uh, in the meantime, you want to jump in on the Discord, you can always be over there part of the discussion. And so here... We go. Um, where do I start? <laughs> Let me. Huh? Microsoft. Microsoft. We'll 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 get to Microsoft in just a second. But first, first of all, I. This is an unexpected news headline. <laughs> I get pretty the audio on this. I should have. <laughs> uh, can I have my I, mic. I should. I got the mic on. It's right. on. Yeah, oh, okay. It's on. Can I play the I, audio? Do you have? What did you? What did you do? Did you record it? Maybe. Did you actually record this? All right, guys. I I, I hope this works. <laughs> I actually may have video of this as well. What's 
All right, this is just a small sample. Yeah, this is this is toward the middle t- to the end. This wasn't even the beginning. So I'm not I'm not crying in this audio. Let me let me be clear. He had tears, but it wasn't crying. Oh, I busted a gut this morning. So I open up. All right, so Death Angel Shadow, no, the 2020 bingo card is not blank. My 2020, the 2024 bingo card is not blank. The 2024 bingo card is one space that says, but of course. And I should, I should have uh, uh, anticipated this. (laughs) Um, But so here's, here's what happened. I I come in, I'm getting everything all set up. I check the email and, and I I scroll through and my email uh, I have just basically is is the subject line it's just this list of subject lines I don't get everything else and I'm scrolling through just to see if I've gotten any replies off the off the invites that I've sent out because you know we're filling up the calendar and I see this one uh, little alert from Variety <coughs> and the headline just hits me just right and honestly i don't know why it's that funny but it is hilarious to me that that this is actually a thing that's happening and i saw this headline and without even opening the article yet i saw the headline and i just lost it i I laughed so hard this morning. <laughs> Mindy actually did. I mean, she's like, are you okay? What's what's wrong? I was like, nothing's wrong. This is just so funny. <laughs> so here's what's so funny, folks. This is the headline from Variety. Jennifer Lopez to produce Bob the Builder animated movie at Mattel starring Anthony Ramos. Now, I got... As far as Jennifer Lopez to produce Bob the Builder animated movie. And that's as far as I got when I just busted a gut laughing. Because the juxtaposition of these two things, Jennifer Lopez and Bob the Builder, of all things that she could do. (laughs) I'm I'm stunned-ish. But then I'm not. Because you get into the details of it, and it's just more of the same. I don't know that this is actually gonna gonna be successful. Let let me let me show you. It's it's technically not genre, but <coughs> it's it's he does have talking talking construction equipment, so. Fantasy? Kids fantasy? I mean, I mean, maybe. Bob the Builder ready for his big screen debut, the article starts. The construction worker with a can-do attitude will be the subject of a new animated feature film from Mattel Films. One of the things that we we can look to here is this is going to be part of a trend. Remember, Mattel wants to make all of their toys into movies. Barbie was the beginning. Certainly not the last. Jennifer Lopez is producing Bob the Builder while in the heist in the Heights star Anthony Ramos will voice the title character. A twist 
on the long-running children series. Here we go. Here we go. Bob the Builder follows Roberto, a.k.a. Bob, who travels to Puerto Rico for a major construction job. According to the official logline, audiences will see Bob as he takes on issues affecting the island and digs deeper into what it means to build. Bob's journey will celebrate the vibrant and colorful textures of the Caribbean Latin nations and their people. This is dead on arrival, folks. This is, this is, that's not Bob the Builder. That is not, uh, that, that is not uh, Bob the Builder. All right, Miss, uh, Mrs. Boss mentions Microsoft. This is the big news that's making the buzz around social media. Microsoft lays off 1,900 employees in Activision, Blizzard, and Xbox divisions. Uh, now, besides the layoffs over at the LA Times which Taylor Lorenz is lamenting with great gnashing of teeth and tears. We have this. Uh, this is TechCrunch. Three months after completing its $68.7 billion acquisition of gaming company Activision Blizzard, Microsoft is laying off 1,900 employees in its gaming divisions. This amounts to about 8.6% of 22,000 Microsoft employees in gaming. Blizzard President Mike Yabara also announced he will step down now that the acquisition is finalized. Uh, it says on X, Twixer, to, to you and me, I want to thank everyone who has impacted today for their meaningful contributions to their teams, to Blizzard, and to players' lives. It's an incredibly hard day, and my energy and support will be focused on all those amazing individuals impacted. This is in no way a reflection on your amazing work. According to an internal memo from Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer, first obtained by The Verge, the layoffs are part of an execution plan with a sustainable cost structure that identified areas of overlap after the acquisition. Microsoft confirmed the legitimacy of The Verge's reported memo in an email to TechCrunch. So basically, this is, I mean, we all saw this coming. As soon as Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard, we knew this was going to happen because this happens every single time a major acquisition like this happens. It, happens, it happened when Disney bought Fox because you have people in the marketing department for each company. You don't need two marketing departments anymore. You don't need two HR departments anymore. You don't need two uh, 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 development of new product you know, stuff anymore. All of this stuff, you, you take the people who are getting things done in each side and you let go of the, you let go of the chaff, right? You, you separate the wheat from the chaff. You let, you let go of those that are kind of, just there, unless you can't because reasons. But this kind of thing happens a lot. It happens every time there's a big, big acquisition like this. So this is not a surprise. Nor is it a surprise that this is happening in the midst of one of the worst economies that we've had in probably 40, 50 some odd years. Expect more of this. Now, this particular one, 
they're laying off people because, you know, duplication of jobs and, and you know, the merger and, and acquisition and all this other stuff. But there are going to be lots more layoffs just because of the economy. This is not going to be something that's that's a unique thing. I mean, we've seen it. YouTube lays off 100 people. L.A. Times lays off people. Yeah, all, all of this stuff keeps going on. A Amazon did another round. And I expect Disney is probably not done either. And we'll get to that here in just a second. Uh, the other big thing, and I I'm not a gamer, so I don't really care, but I, I mean... This is this is something that has been kicking around in the gamer space for for a few days now. This thing called Pal World. Pal World is a new survival game. I I think it's a first person shooter type of survival game. It's from Pocket Pair, the company. And Apparently, it's stirring up some controversy because the creatures in this bear more than a passing resemblance, and I use that word properly, bear, bear more than a passing resemblance to Pokemon. And people have noticed, uh, and, you know, people have even said, this is Pokemon with guns. This is this. This is thing. Pal World has has shifted five million copies in a matter of days. It's over on Steam. Uh, continues to go up the Steam charts. It's the sixth game in history to have more than a million players concurrently. Uh, what this is, this is Tom'sGuide.com. Pal World is a third-person open-world survival game where you set out to explore a vast map and interact with its numerous animal-like inhabitants known as PALs. As mentioned, PAL World is a survival game, so you can expect all the usual trappings of the genre, including a hunger meter that you must keep topped up, as well as an emphasis... Wow, she's upset about something. Speaking of animal-like PALs... <clears throat> Uh, an emphasis on resource gathering and crafting to construct useful items and build a base. But the real hook of the game and the reason it's taking off so rapidly comes in the form of the adorable pals. There are more than 130 pals in total. Each of them can be battled in combat, weakened, and then captured using a pal sphere. <clears throat> Once you've captured a pal, there are numerous things you can do with your new buddy depending on the type of pal captured. These range from summoning them in combat to stationing them at your home base to help with crafting. Some pals can also be used as mounts to make traveling the island easier. So the discussion now, I mean, this thing, people are playing this. They're everywhere. I've seen all sorts of discussions of people playing this game. Hey, let's do this. We'll stream it. And, you know, people on Twitch and Kick that are playing this game. Pokemon has noticed, and they are investigating for IP infringement potential. This is Forbes uh, reporting here today, this morning. After several days of speculation, the Pokemon company and Nintendo have signaled they are investigating Pal World, 
a viral Pokemon clone that has sold over 8 million copies in less than a week. Uh, Pal, uh, the key fact, Pal World, open world survival game, we talked about that. Despite the game appearing to clone popular Pokemon designs, its addition of shooting, survival, and a few other fresh mechanics, along with the fact it's not exclusive to Nintendo's consoles, appears to have struck a chord with players with the title topping the sales chart on the PC gaming storefront Steam. Some have accused the game's publisher, Pocket Pair, of using AI to plagiarize popular Pokemon designs, with some users pointing to its creator's earlier comments in favor of AI use in game design, although no evidence of this has been made public. And really, let me, let me in, in, inject an opinion here. If there was going to be AI used in this, how would you be able to tell? It's not like you're creating humanoid characters. You're creating creatures. And creatures don't necessarily have fingers. Hands and fingers are the big tells still for AI-generated stuff. But as we've seen, even the AI tools are not very adept at detecting AI tools' usage. So really, there's not a whole big reliable way that you can say this was generated by AI and no definitively unless somebody who did it came out and said, yes, I used AI tools. <coughs> All right, uh, continuing. Oh, the other controversy around PAL World. This is new. I haven't heard this. Stems from the nature of its content as the game allows players to kill and eat their PALs put them to work in factories, or even enslave human characters. Uh, the Pokemon Company said in a statement, we've received many inquiries regarding another company's game released in January 2024. We have not granted any permission for the use of Pokemon intellectual property or assets in that game. We intend to investigate and take appropriate measures. So really, the, the big question is going to be how close are the Pal World creatures in design to Pokemon. And over here in this Tom's Guide uh, article, there is a photograph here. This, this, is, a, this is a scene from, from Pocket Pair. The image is credited to Pocket Pair, so I guess this is from the game. But that looks really a whole lot like a Pikachu standing on top of a Gatling gun. <coughs> Now, as I said, I'm not a gamer. I'm not invested in this. I don't know. I haven't spent any money on this. I don't know, you know, either of those games. I haven't I haven't played Pokemon. James James has played Pokemon and has done the cards and, and that kind of thing. But I, that looks an awful lot like a big fat Pikachu sitting on top of that gun. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I... I will be curious to see how they uh, how they pursue this because it is, if it is infringement do they do they go after Pocket Pal? I don't know where Pocket Pal is based. I would imagine if they're do they go after them in Japan? Do they go after them here, or do they go after both of them? Is <laughs> 
Road Vagabond says his game is Pikachu. His name is Pikachu. Completely different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matuid. I think it is. It, it could. It could be gimmick infringement. It, a lot of it's just going to depend on how close those designs are. And again, if they use AI now, now the other thing here, if they used AI to design these creatures, this could be another half nail in the coffin for AI tools, generative AI tools like this, because like we were talking about yesterday, you know, AI is infringement. AI learns, quote unquote, by taking work done by somebody else, usually an actual human author or artist, and that work is the basis on which the AI tools learn how to generate stuff, what looks like this stuff. So if I wanted, if I wanted, for, for example, if I was going to do a comic book and I wanted a cover in the style of John Byrne, for example, I'd give, I'd give this AI tool, whether it's Mid Journey or, or any of the others, Dolly or whatever, I'd have it scan a bunch of art by John Byrne. And then I would say, okay, give me this, this, that, and the other in the style of John Byrne. And it would use all of this information that it's got in its database now. This is how John Byrne draws his art. And it would create something in the style of John Byrne. That's copyright infringement. At, at, at the very least... But the other part of that is it's unethical for me. If I were to sit there and say, give me something in the art style of John Byrne, why not hire John Byrne? Or if there's an artist out there who can maybe kind of sort of evoke the style of George Perez, then I hire the artist. Don't don't sit there and let a robot do this this work because robots can't be creative. And I know however much however much you want to massage the prompt and manage the prompt. And I know what Shad's talked about over there on, on Shadiversity about, about using AI. And, and anybody who uses AI tools is still can be considered an artist because you're actually managing the prompts and you're revising and updating and revising and updating and massaging the data and all this. You're still pulling information from established works elsewhere. Now, if I, if, I, if I take a photograph of myself and I give it to Mid-Journey and say, make me look like a knight of the round table. Put me in, a, put me in an environment, an Arthurian, Arthurian environment. It still has to pull all the rest of that information from somewhere. Whether it's photographs of trees or sketches of castles or whatever. It's still stealing content in order to generate this new thing. And that's different from if I pick up a photograph of a castle and I use that as my reference and I sit there and I go, okay, I'll, I'll draw my castle. And then maybe I take this other castle and I draw. I'm still generating something brand new. I'm using a visual reference but that visual reference is not part of the work. I'm not taking that, that, that photograph, that visual reference, and including it, incorporating it in. I'm using it as a basis for comparison to make sure, okay, I get the, get the, 
get the drawbridge right and the battlements right and the towers and what is it going to look like? And I'm going to modify and I'm going to make it look like my own thing. It's going to be a different thing. I'm not just going to draw it. I'm, I'm not going to Greg land it and trace it. It's plagiarism. <clears throat> Matt Twain says it's plagiarized derivativity. What? Unless you're, was it Yale? Harvard. 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 Oh, I, t I, I closed that tab. By the way, was it Harvard? Let me let me look that up. I, I closed the, the tab. Is it the one where they sat there and they were photoshopping their stuff? Uh-uh. They were cut and pasting stuff. Let me let me let me pull this back up because this is something I wasn't I wasn't going to talk about it because it's not exactly uh, in our wheelhouse. But since there are plenty of discussions online about science, <coughs> I'll just put this out here. This is Ars Technica uh, from January twenty second. Top Harvard cancer researchers accused of scientific fraud. Thirty seven studies affected. Uh, researchers accused of manipulating data images with copy and paste. The Dana Farber Cancer Institute, an affiliate of Harvard Medical School, is seeking to retract six scientific studies and correct 31 others that were published by the Institute's top researchers, including its CEO. The researchers are accused of manipulating data images with simple methods, primarily with copy and paste in image editing software such as Adobe Photoshop. Can I can I note just for a moment that Ars Technica did not use the word Photoshop as a verb? I will give them props for that. <laughs> Uh, the accusations come from data sleuth Sholto David and colleagues on PubPeer, an online forum for researchers to discuss publications that has frequently served to spot dubious research and potential fraud. So here's a bunch of, of studies about cancer research. And, oh, hey, it's not saying what it says it says. <clears throat> Potential data manipulation. Uh, many data figures that appear to contain pixel-for-pixel pixel duplications. The allegedly manipulated images are of data such as Western blots, which could which are used to detect and visualize the presence of proteins in a complex mixture. I'm not exactly sure what's fake, um, but uh, if if the studies are compromised because of whatever it is that they did. It raises a question, does it not? That maybe it's okay sometimes to question some of these peer-reviewed studies that are out there being held up as gospel? I don't know. Uh, Road Vagabond Life says, I think they want to establish a precedent that it's not theft if a computer does it. Like when Wall Street front uh, front runs their customers' orders because the computer did it. I, may, maybe uh, we'll have to see how the lawsuit you know plays out from uh, the New York Times against ChatGPT. That will be telling, and I think it probably will set precedent. We'll see. 
Another controversy to report. <coughs> the Hugo Awards. Bum, bum, bum. And you thought we were done when the sad puppies went away. <coughs> now, a little bit of background. The people who run the, the, the Hugo Awards are, for the most part, progressive leftist socialist Marxist, Marxist types who are neener neener cliques who don't want any disagreement in their ranks. And when the sad puppies thing happened, they closed ranks, they circled the wagons, they said, you can't be part of our club anymore. And in 2015, they no-awarded all sorts of nominees. They basically said, y'all shouldn't even have been nominated, so we're just going to vote no award in this category this year because Sad Puppies dominated a couple of different years there. And 2015, they all they broke their arms patting themselves on the back at how, 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 how great they were at gatekeeping uh, the conservatives, the radical alt-right. All right, so have that in your, in your background brief as we get to this story, because it's relevant. Because last year, Worldcon, the World Science Fiction Convention, was hosted in China, in Communist Party China. And there were a lot of concerns. I was like, wow, do we really want to have the Worldcon in China? Because, you know, China's not very big on human rights, as we see with their concentration camps that are that that double for Disney's location sets. Well, and plus you have the whole uh, the whole rule that they can't have Worldcon was it so close to each other or like mile wise location wise. And with having it in China, they could technically get away with having it for quite a long time because the next time could be in China and the next time could be in China because of the size of China. Well, yeah, but the other, and the that other part was a joke. But I found I found it really ironic <coughs> that these progressive leftist socialist Marxist communists were expressing concern and dismay that their progressive leftist communist Marxist event was being held in a communist Marxist country. See, they get hoist of their own petard, as it were. And they had the event. A lot of people were like, well, I'm just not going to, I'm out of principle, I'm not going to attend. And a lot of people didn't attend because it was in China. And China kills people for believing the wrong thing. Now we find out there was more going on because recently the voting and nomination data was released because every year as part of the process for the Hugo Awards, after a certain amount of time, the information gets published as to how many nominations there were, how many votes each nomination got. There's a breakdown document that says, here's how the Hugo Awards were determined. And it's coming out now that certain 
certain works that were nominated were rendered ineligible for reasons. So here is Polygon Hugo Awards under fire over censorship accusations and SFF writers want answers. Science fiction fantasy writers, for those of you in Rio Linda. Uh, the science fiction and fantasy literature community is in uproar this week after the release of the voting statistics behind the 2023 Hugo Awards, which have raised accusations that the organizing committee censored the nominees in several categories. Now, let's let's be clear. The science fiction and fantasy literature community that cares about this is about 5,000 people. It's a drop in the bucket. Nobody cares about the Hugo Awards anymore because of behavior by these people. The Hugo Awards have not been relevant in forever. But this story is delicious because of its irony. <clears throat> Continuing. The Hugo Awards are the annual awards program of the World Science Fiction Society, which has been celebrating works of sci-fi and fantasy since the 1950s. The 2023 awards were announced at the 81st annual Worldcon event in October, held for that year in Chengdu, China, when the Chengdu Worldcon subcommittee released obligatory voting statistics on January 20th. The SFF literary community was quick to point out and discuss a number of newly revealed oddities. The statistics showed that several works seemingly eligible for the 2023 awards were disqualified without explanation. Most notably, these works include R.F. Kuang's Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, which was right, widely favored for the Hugo Awards' own Best Picture Equivalent Best Novel, after winning the 2023 Nebula and Locus Awards for Saint. The lack of answers around the reason for Babel's ineligibility, along with other unexplained details in the voting data, have left the book community angry, suspicious, and confused. Again, the book community is that small. It's tiny, tiny, limited group of people. And a lot of them are keyboard warriors, and they will wring their hands and clutch their pearls over this and not realize that this is the exact same behavior they engaged in in 2015. <clears throat> the Hugo Award winners were announced in October 2023, but the Chengdu Worldcon subcommittee didn't release the voting statistics until late January. This was right on the dot of the 90-day window the Hugo subcommittees have to release the year's voting data. Committees typically release it within days of the ceremony. Rather than clear things up, this data raised several questions about the integrity of the 2023 Hugo Awards and Babel's disqualification. As the statistics show, and they have, this, they have the chart right here, Babel had the third highest number of nominations of the 15 books on the long list for Best Novel and only five fewer than the eventual winner, T. Kingfisher's Nettle and Bone. T. Kingfisher, of course, is also one of these checkbox authors that wins a lot. Now, it could be a could be a great author. I don't know. I've never read his work. But he wins awards a lot. <clears throat> Yet, as the nominee pool dwindled throughout the consecutive voting rounds, Babel never gained any additional points. This pattern is beyond strange, as presumably... 
at least some of the votes that had previously gone to the knocked-out books would shift to Babel. Instead, its score remained the same until it was knocked out in the final round and declared ineligible. So basically how this works, for those of you who, are, who, who, who care about this thing, here's the list of 15 books. And the first round, you have people vote for all of the different books. How, how, you rank them. I, this book is first, this book is second, this one is third. Everybody who votes is a participating voting member does this. And then they tabulate, and then from there they start to eliminate the ones that don't get very much because they're basically trying to dwindle it down to the short list, which is like five, and then from there they dwindle that down until they pick a winner for the Hugo Award to get that year. Babel's disqualification is extremely puzzling as the book meets all 2023 best novel requirements, being a fantasy novel of 40,000 words or more, published within the previous calendar year. In a statement on Blue Sky, Quang shared that she was never given a reason for the novel's ineligibility. Quote, until one is provided that explains why the book was eligible for the Nebula and Locus Awards, which it won, and not the Hugos, I assume... This was a matter of undesirability rather than ineligibility, she wrote. In excluding undesirable work is not only embarrassing for all involved parties, but renders the entire process and organization illegitimate. Pity. There is widespread speculation, though no evidence, that Babel's ineligibility is a result of state censorship on the part of China, the country in which last year's Hugo Awards were held, or self-censorship by the committee to avoid upsetting the Chinese government. Now, the, the chair of the committee has recently come out and said, we had no communication with the Chinese government. And they weren't part of the process. So, if that's the case, if the Chinese government didn't come in and say, these books are no good, you cannot use them, then... Does that then mean that the committee self-censored and said, well, this one, this one is, is not going to be acceptable to the Chinese government, so we'll just go ahead and eliminate it internally ourselves rather than draw the ire of the Chinese Communist Party? Because, I mean, that's, those are your options, right? What other choices are there? What, are, what other possibilities are there? For these books, if if it meets all of the criteria for the for the nomination and the award, what other reason would there be to render it ineligible, quote unquote? Because you can nominate a book and the author could withdraw it from consideration. Some people did that in 2015. I don't want the sad puppies nominating my book. How dare they? So authors can withdraw from consideration. No, 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 no. That's okay. I don't. I, I'm flattered. I'm gratified to be nominated, but I don't want it. They can do that. But to render the work ineligible for reasons really smells. And Babel was not the only work that was considered ineligible. <clears throat> 
Chinese-Canadian author Ziren J. Zhao was ruled ineligible for the astounding award for Best New Writer, which is limited to authors whose first sci-fi or fantasy publication occurred within the previous two years. Zhao was a finalist last year, and as Zhao pointed out, the Astounding Award site explicitly lists them as an eligible author for this year's award. Now, I need to point out that the Astounding Award is not run by the Hugo Committee. That's not a Hugo Award. That's a separate award that's given out at Worldcon at the same time the Hugos are. The Astounding Award used to be called the John W. Campbell Memorial Award. But because John W. Campbell was resistant a white man, and there, there was this whole big to-do, Falderall, a couple years ago, about John W. Campbell being a terrible person, they renamed the award. So the Astounding Award, because Astounding Magazine was, was Campbell's magazine, See, the Astounding Award is separate from the Hugos. And this author was also considered ineligible for that award. Which implies either the Astounding Committee also self-censored or somebody tapped all these people on the shoulder and said, you know, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't like this book. The Chinese Communist Party doesn't like this author. You might want to think about making a change. This kind of thing has happened. And it's interesting that these works are done by people who are no longer in China and maybe are guilty of wrong think according to the Chinese Communist Party. <coughs> Zhao has publicly spoken out against the Chinese government and in support of Palestine. <coughs> And the debut novel Iron Window is inspired by China's only female emperor, Wu Zetian. When Zhao posted a TikTok about the Hugo's disqualification, it was removed. TikTok is run by China. So you have that one. In the best fan writer category, Paul Weimer was declared ineligible despite having the third most nominations and having been a finalist in this category three times prior, in 2021, Weimer expressed concerns about the attention the Chengdu Worldcon would draw from the Chinese government. So somebody else critical of the Chinese Communist Party. In addition, the sixth episode of Netflix's The Sandman TV series, The Sound of Her Wings, was disqualified for, from Best Dramatic Presentation, Short form for undisclosed reasons. Yet the Netflix drama's first season was, as is consistent with Hugo's past, disqualified from the long-form award because a single episode from its season proved to be very popular nominations. So the episode gets nominated, so they take it out of the long form for the entire series, but then the episode gets dropped. No explanation. Why? It's because, it's because 
reasons. The Hugos are now learning what it what it feels like because it's being done to them what they did to the sad puppies. Maybe not to scale. But we're going to no award all of these people. I find it ironic. Isn't it ironic? <sighs> anyway. All right. Uh, real quick. You guys know the actor Tom Hollander? You know Tom Hollander, right? He was in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was uh, he was a uh, he was one of the one of the sailors. Right? <coughs> well, Tom Hollander got a got a got a note from his from his agent. <coughs> it was apparently uh, actors get notifications from their agents that says, "Hey, you've got a check coming for this work and this work and this work." And Tom Hollander got an got an email from his agent. Said you've got a check coming from your work in the Avengers, and he's a little confused because Tom Hollander was not in the Avengers, but Tom Holland was, <laughs> and they both have the same representation agency, and whoops, Tom Hollander got Tom Holland's email. And Tom Hollander looked at the amount of money that Tom Holland was going to get for the Avengers. And then he realized, he's like, I wasn't in the Avengers. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and he was crushed. Because there's a lot of money that Tom Hollander is not going to get. Because it's not his. How do you make that mistake? I mean, Really? It just that you just that's how do you make that mistake? It, is it you deal with names and stuff and confusion and stuff all the time? Is it really that hard to to keep that straight? I just I'm I, I, my mouth is full. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I guess we're going to need the hand gestures. Eating! Can't do it! You're like Can't the talk. waitress or waiter at you've a got restaurant. The, you've got the microphone in front of your face. I figure you're ready to go. how everything is just as you put something in your mouth. By the way, how's your meal tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Is everything good? Okay, you want to get some more water, some more tea, some yeah, more chips? It can happen, <laughs> okay. yes. All right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I don't. It just, yeah, it can happen. Um, some controversy here. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Duh, 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 duh. Nah, I'll do that. I'll do that afterward. We'll do that. We'll do that in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> we need to get some more information here on this. Uh, this Halle Berry project that got canceled over at Netflix. Uh, apparently. The mothership had multiple post-production delays. This is uh, in Variety. Uh, Netflix scrapped the release of The Mothership, a science fiction film starring Halle Berry. The movie finished filming in 2021, 
but it couldn't be completed after multiple delays in post-production varieties confirmed. The Mothership is the latest Hollywood movie to disappear, even though filming had wrapped. Since 2022, Warner Brothers has axed three movies, John Cena's Coyote vs. Acme, which could maybe come back, the $90 million budgeted DC adventure Batgirl, and the animated Scoob Holiday Hunt, for the purpose of tax write-offs. By the way, um, uh, Tom uh, Tom Connors over at Midnight's Edge posted a photograph of a script cover page that seems to imply they're working on a crossover between Scooby-Doo and the animated Gremlins. I, he says it looks legit. I don't know. <clears throat> I, I, I and I don't know how I think about. It. I, I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of like these these crossover things are kind of weird sometimes. Here's here's one from NECA uh, action figures and stuff. There's a apparently they're doing some combinations: the Universal Monsters and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This one is Raphael as the Wolfman. I'm I don't know how I feel about this kind of thing. What do you guys think? Is that I mean okay, but is this kind of thing necessary? Do we really need to do this sort of thing? <coughs> Matuine says I didn't know there was an animated Gremlins. Um yeah. We've been we've been talking about talk- it for a while since it was uh, announced. Yeah, Joe Dante's involved. And 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 really, um, the and I think it got decent reviews. It did, except for the fact that, except for the fact that Gizmo, the Mogwai, who was not named Gizmo until the movie, is being called Gizmo in a in a in a series that's set some eighty years before the movie. He shouldn't be called Gizmo yet. And yet he is, apparently. Anyway, all right. Uh, by the way, uh, real quick, just a, a, a fast a fast note uh, on the YouTube algorithm. Uh, YouTube saying, send a virtual hug to a fellow creator today. They posted that over on Twitter. Uh, I, I would uh, say to the mods, uh, anybody, and, and Mrs. Boss, you might want to make a note, because every now and again, when we drop links yes. in the chat, we need to be careful, because I want to make sure that we don't trigger the algorithm that thinks that we're spamming. Yeah. Because I know I know some of the different people will drop, will drop links in the chat. Um, let's kind of moderate that a little bit more and maybe do less of that because I don't I don't want the algorithm to sit there and go, oh, this person is dropping a bunch of links. This is a spammer. I don't want anybody to get in trouble with the algorithm. So just something so, something to remind me about if something happens. Okay. All right. So, okay. Um, where else we've got? That's that. Let's do this. Let us take a break. Uh, Arvid is standing by in the green room, so we will take a break. And when we get back, we will be talking about the Band of the Crow and other 
uh, projects uh, this coming out here this year. So uh, we will take a quick, uh, a quick break. Todd time. And well, not 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 Todd time. I get. I guess I could give you some Todd time, but uh, yeah, we will uh, we will do this and be back with Arvid Nelson right after this. So stand by. Live from the bunker, we'll be right back on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here, taking a moment to say thank you for listening to the podcast on your player of choice and to invite you to watch the program as it unfolds live on our various video platforms. Not only will you get to see any visual references we have, but you also have a chance to interact with us through the chat widget and during the open line hour when you can call in and be a part of the show. Join us live from the bunker Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern U.S. only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. You're listening to the Sci-Fi For Me radio network. All right, everybody, here we go. We are into hour two. Todd holding the fort down back there in the corner. Glad to have all of you with us. We are joined now by Arvid Nelson. He is a comic book creator, a YouTube uh, commentator. He's uh, He's got his own channel, and he's interviewed some different people over there. We'll talk about that as well. He's got a new project in de- development. It's called The Band of the Crow. It's coming out this summer, a uh, crowdfunding project. Arvid, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you also, Cam1138. See you in the, uh, he, he made this possible. Um, so thank you, Cam. I will represent you well, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about yeah. The Band of the Crow. Let's start there because this is, this is coming out, I believe, when in July. It's epic fantasy adventure described here in the sign-up. Uh, frost giants have trampled the world beneath their feet. The last remnants of man cling to life, fighting back with the holy art of sorcery coming in July. So where, where's, where's the genesis of this project? You know, the genesis of this project came from, um, my interest in just in like where things, where do things come from? And, uh, I've always loved fantasy literature. So, but I, it never occurred to me to think about where it, where, where it came from. Um, so I did some research, I mean, you know, research just procrastinating <laughs> on the internet basically. Yeah. Um, and I, what I came up with was it, it just blew my mind. There was two, arguably three generations of people before Tolkien who were writing fantasy stories, or I guess you could call it proto fantasy stories. Um, that was very much the inspiration for it. Trying to go back to the original source material. Yeah. So is this uh, is this inspired more by uh, Tolkien or the stuff that came before Tolkien? Are we going even back further to those roots? Then is yep. is what I'm hearing. 
Right, exactly. Even back further. I, I love Tolkien, but in my opinion, it's so powerful that he's, he's just kind of like steamrolls everything. Yeah. Everything. He's like the all assimilating Borg. I think every single, well, <laughs> I actually, I shouldn't say that. Not every single fantasy story owes think, itself to Tolkien. But, well, and I know. think I think Tolkien had a, a, a big influence on fantasy, certainly, especially epic high fantasy type of things. Yeah. Um, and, and rightly or wrongly, I do think that there's probably some fantasy work that gets compared to Tolkien, maybe a little unfairly yes. because there are different kinds of stories that are being told. Uh, the same, same could be said for comparisons with Lovecraft. Cause if you're, if you're getting into some of those, you know, ghastly beasts and, and monsters and, you know, your first thought is cosmic horror. It's Tolkien. That's right. Or, or, or Lovecraft, rather. Yeah. With fantasy, the same kind of thing. It all gets compared to Tolkien because he right. he was the he was the, the the prototypical master of it, and it's kind of hard to get away from that. So, what have you been? What have you? What were the the designs and the goals in order to avoid those comparisons? What what's in yeah. this story that's not yeah. Tolkien? Well, you know, like like it is just like you said. You can't avoid the comparisons. You yeah. can't. If, if someone will say, oh, this isn't at all like Tolkien. So that, ah, even if it's not like Tolkien, it is it's still described in terms of Tolkien. So I, I don't want to get out of Tolkien's shadow. It, the Lord of the Rings might be my favorite book ever. I, I, I think if I tried, I would be, you know, crushed, crushed like a cockroach. So um, I'm OK with that. I'm OK with that. Tolkien is beautiful and brilliant. But uh, the. The, the origins of this story in Genesis is like I said, it's going back to these original writers. Um, if I had to pick like the person in, in my opinion, based on the, again, the research that I've done, the, the first person that you could associate with the fantasy genre would be an English art critic and art historian named John Ruskin. Okay. Um, he inspired uh, a group of people, artists called the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood. And uh, William Morris, I, I think he was one of them. At any rate, he also inspired someone named William Morris, who I think he may or may not have been a part of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. It doesn't matter, but he wrote what I consider to be the world's first bona fide, honest to God, fantasy story called The Wood Beyond the World. Um, so starting with starting with John Ruskin and just building out there and again, not, not trying to construct a fantasy world where Tolkien never existed. That's not possible, yeah. but I just <laughs> fantasy could have gone so many different ways. And like I said, Tolkien is so powerful. It's just, it's like a magnet. You can't avoid it. Trying to figure out another direction that fantasy not only could have gone, but still could go. You know, I think we're just, we're still just at the early stages of this. There's so many fascinating avenues to explore so many uncharted seas. Well, so I, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think I think one of the one of the other aspects of Tolkien that's that's had had him uh, had his work last so long is yeah. is the Christian allegory aspects of it, because there are there's yeah. there's structure, there's archetypes, there's, there's a lot right. of different things that are percolating under the surface for that. And you're right. There's a lot of other fantasy that doesn't incorporate that stuff. Yeah. That you could go in various different directions with it in terms of you know the you know, the kind of of magic that's done, the kind of creatures that are there, what what kind of adventures are done. D and D 
is another uh, aspect of yeah. fantasy where you you have all sorts of different things that you can do with those adventures because you're making right. it up as you go. Yeah, there's all kinds of creatures and all kinds of ty- character types that you can incorporate into those things. So when you're when you're putting this, what kind of characters are in this uh, band of the crow story? Uh, so my logline, my pitch is it's about three kids who drink some tea and kill a frost giant. <laughs> um, okay. It's um, so there is this art of you know it's funny you mentioned religion. Religion is extremely important. Like I I am religious, but even if I weren't, I just think religion is fascinating just to study it on a. Belief aside, I think it's fascinating. An example of a book that I think handles religion really, really well is Dune, the Dune novels. Yes. I think Frank Herbert is really, really, he says, look, I'm not going to, you're not going to see anything in this that either proves or disproves this religion that people have. And that's really not the point. He's just trying to examine it in a neutral way and let's see what we can figure out about human beings and about faith. So that's a very important part of this story. Um, there is magic but it's all regulated by this religion that people have. People have this uh, received form of magic from this messianic figure. So uh, the religion is very tied into the magic and is also tied into this natural, not natural aristocracy, but an, an aristocracy. You're, you're only allowed to learn how to practice magic if you are an aristocrat in gotcha. this world. So there's um, a caste system. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I one of the things I was looking at, talking about going back to the origins of things, uh, reading about Indo-European linguistics and culture. I mean, just amazing, amazing. Uh, here's a, uh, this is th- th- this blew me away. There's a uh, ritual in Ireland, like pre-Christian Ireland, where the uh, when a new chieftain assumed, um, assumed the title of chief, mm-hmm. he would um, bathe in this broth of a of a chopped up bull or a horse and the warriors would drink very strange uh the the same exact ritual is practiced in iran oh really okay yeah there's an iranian santa claus yeah (laughs) so um so uh thinking about this is a little bit dated but uh tripartite indo-european societies you have uh you have priests warriors and you know Farmers or commoners or whatever. So that's very much how this society is organized. You have this tripartite society. You have these uh, sorcerers at the top. You have warriors. And then you have, you know, I don't know what you call them. Economically productive people, shall we say. Right. The working class. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So so these these three kids, I'm assuming they come out of the working class then. And and they they get caught up in the situation with the frost giant. Uh, yeah. What what are the villains like? Who 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 are the bad guys in this thing? Yeah. Well, I should say t- two of the characters are. One of them is a girl, and she's um, you when you become a sorcerer, you have to walk the knot. There are these magical labyrinths, and there's a tree at the center, and there's magical mistletoe. And if you can reach it to the center, and cut that mistletoe, it, it's called your life thread. It binds to your life thread, and that's what makes you a sorcerer. Gotcha. That's what makes you a sorcerer. But it's dangerous going into the knots. Like, I, I haven't figured this out exactly, but a, a significant there's a significant chance that you get lost forever. And no one really knows what happens inside. So, but the, the, the thought is in this world that if you can make it inside, then you have the favor of the goddess, of the goddess that these people believe in. And this is a sign that, yes, you are truly um, entitled to practice the holy art of sorcery because your heart is pure. So it's, um, it's kind of a maze combined with the Phantom Zone, sounds like. 
Yeah, you know, I, the, the Amber series by uh, Roger Zelazny, absolutely right. love it. Uh, I love Jim Henson. So Jim Henson is a big inspiration in this. I think Labyrinth is a really beautiful movie. I'm surprised at how much it stuck with me over the years. So all these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you're yeah, that didn't answer your question I no, no, no. You're, you're, no you're fine so when you're doing your world building on this you're doing your research yeah. at are are you consciously that's Tolkien I can't use it or, or are you just you know whatever whatever fits best into the story whether whether it's going to bring comparisons to Tolkien or not mm-hmm. what what kind of world building are you having to do in order to make sure one that your your story is actually going to feel fresh and unique and 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 original yeah. and not derivative so much but yeah. also making sure that the story logic holds together because it's something that I've noticed with things like fan fiction or new writers uh self-published authors and that kind of thing sometimes the the story logic gets a little wonky at the end because you, right. you you lose you lose yourself in the details and and there starts to crop up some inconsistencies what kind of what kind of work are you having to do in order to make sure that your universe hangs together uh, this is like don't get me started on world building i i have <laughs> I, I have done i have made a lot of mistakes with regard to world building so i am a wiser and a sadder man um with regards to Tolkien, here's this is just my personal opinion, mm-hmm. and opinions differ. I, and there are excellent counter examples to this. I think all the world building that you need is as simple as this: in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. <laughs> right. I'm sold. I'm sold. I think Tolkien sells every little bit of the world building that he needs right there. I think that's one of the best openings that I have ever read ever. And that I mean, that's like you know, it was a whatever the. I can't even remember it. The uh, the opening to a tale of two cities. Um, well, and so and you're right. right. The opening line does set the tone for yeah. for for a great many stories. Uh, how how do you how does that translate into a comic book? Is it a narrative detail? Is it a splash page? How what's your what's your plan for getting people sucked into your book? I think I, I am I, I I don't believe in I have done. A lot of world building. I have done a lot of world building for this story. But at this point, I would rather burn it than show it to people. I don't know. Maybe my mind will change. I hope I never show it to people. I, I just don't think that it's what's relevant. It's what attracts you to a story. Or maybe it's more like assuming the sale. I think if you go into writing a story, assuming that people are going to care about your constructed languages and the geography and, you know, the, the, the history of the elves of the West or whatever, just game over. Yeah. Game over. Get people invested in the characters first, which is something that Tolkien does really, really well. It's why The Hobbit is such a brilliant story. Bilbo is at home. He's kind of comfortable. And these guests show up and they just kind of, you can relate to that. You can right. relate to that because he's, he's, he's irritated. You know, they're tracking dirt into the house and there's <laughs> dirty dishes everywhere. I think that's beautiful. So, you know, worry about the dirty dishes first. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. Well, and and I think there's something to be said cuz you look at something like Star Wars for example, the, or, yeah. the original trilogy, and one of one of the things that Lucas had decided early on that this world it needs to be it needs to look lived in. And for all of the the world building and the three ring binders and all of the research and all of this other stuff that's that's 
that's there, you don't necessarily have to sit there and publish all of that and say, here's all of my, here's all of my research. Yeah. But, but it does, you know, it does solidify what you're doing in the story that you're telling, because you can take those little bits and pieces and kind of weave them in, into the narrative as it goes, as it's relevant to whatever is happening in that scene. Right. And it could be just something as, as easy and simple as, Something in the background, mm-hmm. yeah. It doesn't exactly. even necessarily have to be something that's 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 critical to the story. It could just be part of your you know part of your world building includes what does the environment look like on right. the page, right? Uh, Mary Poppins is my like guiding light with storytelling, and you know she said I never explain anything. <laughs> right. So like, do not explain. Do not explain things to people. Just go. It's go time from page one. You got to go yeah. talking about, so, of course I'm saying, Oh, I'm the Tolkien. I'm not, of course, obviously it's the total opposite is true. These I'm totally obsessed with Tolkien. And <laughs> so good. the more I think about it, um, the more I think about what a great storyteller Tolkien is, but star Wars. Wow. What a powerful opening. They don't, I mean, they have the title crawl from, but it actually doesn't explain anything substantive about the story. It's just, it's just the plot. There's yeah. that beautiful opening shot. Of the of Princess Leia's little Corvette zooming in, you think, okay, and there's some lasers shooting at it. You think, oh, okay, is it that? And then it's just like, whoa, yeah. You see the Star Destroyer coming, you're just like, and you don't need to know anything. You know that's not fair. That's not fair. Someone is being a bully. Someone yeah. is getting beat up on, and you are instantly, instantly, whoever the heck is in that Corvette, you care about them. Yeah. It's so beautiful and so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is a powerful opening visual because, oh. because that star destroyer just keeps going and going and going and going. I know you're, you're just like, you have never seen anything like that before. You're just like, no. Whoa. Right. And, know, I, and that's that, that, right. That's George Lucas telling you like, no, I don't care. Uh, uh-uh. I don't care what you were thinking about before you were watching this movie. Now he, he has yeah. taken control of your consciousness. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Road Vagabond yeah. live comments, Mary Poppins fighting an orc army. There's a world crossover, <laughs> a movie I'd watch. <laughs> well, I mean, Me you know, Me Mar- Mary Poppins is a time Lord. So, you know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I had thought of that. Whoa. Talk about a mashup. Yeah. A doctor yeah. who Mary Poppins crossover. I mean, she's either got a bag of holding or she's got a TARDIS. It just depends on what world you're going to put her in. Right. Right. Uh, Speaking of, speaking of which let's, uh, let's take a look here at some of this, uh, some of this artwork here. Cause this is, this is your artist. This is your artist for the book. Uh, And this is, you know, uh, uh, a little bit of a breakfast club mashup here uh, inspired. Um, So tell me about your artist. How'd you find him? Oren is, I, you know, um, Cam, I, I, First of all, Jason, I appreciate what you do here. Um, we are all, I think, taking a stand against some very, very ugly, regressive, um, vicious, and abusive politics, which have colonized everything. Um, I'm really, really uh, scared. I don't like talking about politics, <laughs> but I think I kind of have to because things have gotten so bad. And I even remember thinking, oh, I know you're mentioning the sad puppies before. I, I, I'm ashamed to say this, but I thought, oh my God, they're all, they're evil. They're you know they're all these ists and phobes, and what a fool I was, what a complete fool I was. Well, um, and and that that goes back because I remember when all of that happened. The 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 mainstream yeah. media even got in on this. Entertainment right. Weekly and 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 Newsweek and all these different articles that ran. 
that put that version of the story right. out there. She had all these all these races, biggest homophobes, and right. and their slate of nominees was more diverse even than the the accepted in crowd group, which I find ironic. Ironic, but but you're right. Politics has become this thing that's that's gotten into everything. And like Andrew Breitbart said, politics is downstream of culture. So the culture is where a lot of the battle is being waged for not just hearts and minds of the audience, but values and priorities of, you know, how we treat people and, and what kind of person we're going to be. And that's, and, and it really is, it really does come down to, are you, are you a, are you a good person or are yeah. you an evil person? Right. And and political parties aside, right. that's where our divide is now in what kind of what kind of world you want to live in. And it's kind of scary. It's very scary. Um, yeah, I, I have I get, religion fascinates me. Social justice ideology is a religion. It is. It is a religion. It's a mystery cult. It's a Gnostic mystery cult. Technically, once you understand that, it all starts to make sense. Yeah. We, we, we are living. Uh, these people are religious maniacs. They are religious maniacs in the same way that Marxists are religious maniacs. This is religious mania. And it's completely yeah. overtaken. Because you have uh, your media and culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have your you have your your rituals. You have your creeds. Right. You have right. your 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 affiliations and and you know the enemies list and the, all all of these different things that. Yeah. One, yeah, it's these are characteristics of religions, but also it's it's funny too because I I just I've got a book in my in my library called uh, uh, Primal Branding. It's a marketing book, but it analyzes a number of different brands like Coca Cola and 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 Apple and and those kind of companies that mm-hmm. have had really 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 big successes. They're yeah. they're massive companies, and here's why: Walt Disney Company and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this guy has analyzed all of these different companies and, and has narrowed down there are these seven different elements mm-hmm. in every successful company. And it and it's just like any kind of a religious uh, practice or anything. You have your you have your rituals, you have your magic words, you have your creed, you have your belief system, you have your enemies, and you have your associates, all, all of these different things. I'm like, that's just such a, a keen breakdown. Yeah. Not just of business success, right? But why this stuff works, you know, yep. and, and infiltrates into things because it, it it grabs the emotion and it uses right. emotion as its hook, so you get all worked up about whatever it is that's going on, right. and you don't think logically about well, wait a minute, what does this actually mean that right. that we're doing this? What are the right. consequences of this? They don't. We don't think two, three, four steps down the road. They're not stupid. This is not a, if it were just a problem of stupid, it would be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. As you said, they have, uh, these are abuse tactics, which shortcut their capacity for critical thinking. So being, and in fact, in some ways, I think being intelligent actually makes you more vulnerable to this stuff. Cause you think, Oh, I'm so smart. I could never be. <laughs> I'm so smart, but no, it's, it's, it's not true. It's not true. Pride goeth before the fall. Um, yeah. So anyway, the point being, um, I made this decision to kind of cancel myself with Oren, the artist. Um, not only is Oren the by far and away the most talented artist I have ever had the pleasure of working with, and I've worked with some very talented artists. Oren's skill 
is just off the charts. He's also a person with enormous personal integrity and moral integrity as well. He doesn't like this stuff any more than I do. So I, it was funny. It was sort of like coming out, I guess. It was like <laughs> being gay in the 1950s, my relationship with him. It was just like, oh, you like Jordan Peterson? That's, that's so funny. I, I love Jordan Peterson. You, oh, do you like Joe Rogan? You do? Oh my God, I think he's amazing. So we sort of like, I think we both realized that we felt the same way about this. And I can't even remember who made the decision first to kind of come out and sort of cancel ourselves and just sort of rage quit and say, no, we can't do this anymore. We can't like play the game or be smart or be strategic anymore. But I don't know if I could have done this without, uh, without Oren. He is so prodigiously talented and a lot of the strengths um, that a lot of strength that I have comes from him. Yeah. Oh, he just, I mean, he does these little, um, okay. Here's another thing about Oren. He's, and this is amazing. As you said, talk about diversity. He lives in Malaysia. You know, he's, he's, he's a Muslim. He sees how stupid this stuff is too. He hates it. No. He hates it. Nobody. Yeah. We did this one live on one of our <laughs> streams. I actually know the person who did that. Oh yeah. This guts is another piece that he did on our stream. This is, this yeah. is impressive work. Oren is just, I, I, I cannot wait to show people. I actually have some pieces of art here that we can show if you're interested. That's from Von Klaus. That's sort of a comic skate project, uh, Terror in the Trenches. Yeah, that's Crowfire Studios. That's from the comic. That's 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 from the um, the first album that we're doing of the yeah. comic. So um, I, I met Oren. Oren is from, oh yeah, this is a piece he did of uh, Henry Cavill. Again, Henry Cavill, I just, you, you try to hate him because he's so handsome and so talented, but yeah. God, I, I, you cannot believe that they, they, they cast him to be Superman. Could it be more perfect? And, and to just cast him aside like that, and well, he seems like he really cares about this stuff too. He, he really cares about, you know, fantasy. And not only, like not only did they cast him as Superman and they cast him aside. I mean, this is, this, <sighs> this is a fun Warhammer Superman mashup, but the yeah. fact, the fact that, uh, the fact that he didn't even really get to play Superman, you right. know, yes, I mean, because exactly. the character wasn't exactly. quite really yep. Superman. So yeah, that that was that was a that was a completely missed opportunity there. There's so. a um, there's an Elvis Costello album called All This Useless Beauty. Yep, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that. <laughs> Well, how, now, are, are you a gamer? Yeah. Do you do you get into to any of the RPG stuff or, or tabletop or video games or anything? I was a big, big, big Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. I, I played many, many hours of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Uh, Palladium games. I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles roleplaying system. I love everything Palladium does. Um, he's a personal hero of mine. What What is it? Kevin CM media, I think, but he just does everything himself. He self-publishes everything. He doesn't care about what the mainstream thinks. And um, yeah, how so you, yes, I'm a big, <laughs> I'm yeah. a big gamer. Yeah. How do you, how do you think Cavill's going to do with the Warhammer series? Because I, I he's wish in him charge all of it. the best. Oh, I have high hopes, but we'll see. I, yeah. high hopes. How about you? What do you think? Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not much of a gamer. Uh, okay. I, I oh, peaked, okay. I peaked at the Atari 2600. Oh, wow. So okay. I'm, I've been out of it for a little while, but mm -hmm. I do find that it's interesting. You know, you talk about, you know, being canceled and, and the culture stuff and all of the all of the stuff that came out about Cavill and and how difficult he was on the set of The Witcher. 
And we come to learn that he's difficult uh, because he's trying to get the show to be faithful to the to the source material, which none of the writing team has ever has ever. You know, we haven't read it. We haven't played the game. We haven't we haven't you know looked at any of the tie-in stuff or anything. Like, how do you how do you make an adaptation of a video game or a comic book or a novel and not familiarize yourself with the source material. Right. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me at all. And how much integrity does he have? He, he, he likes the stuff he's really, he's not faking it. He really likes this stuff. He cares enough about it. Like he knows that he probably shouldn't say anything. He should probably just shut up and say his lines, but yeah. he can't do it because he has integrity. Yeah. Uh, he defends fans and defends fans reactions to things. I just, I am an, an I'm, I'm a very big, Henry Cavill fan. Yeah. yeah. It's it's Very like this uh, it's like the guy who plays Master Chief over on the Halo TV series. It's like, well, if you don't like Master Chief taking off his helmet, then this series is probably enough. You're not you're not gonna like this series. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the point. Uh, right. right? I mean, because right. Master Chief doesn't take off his helmet. Right. And right. yeah, we're not gonna like it because it's not faithful to the source material. Same with the heat. Right. I mean, you all you look at all of this stuff, Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, all of these things that have a history. And at a at a uh, dare I say it, gravitas, but yeah, they have yeah. <laughs> they have this established lore right that goes back decades now. And if you don't want to take the time to familiarize yourself with any of that, right. and you and you come in, then don't don't come complaining to us when the fans sit there and say I don't like what you did with this because it doesn't respect what's come before right. and it doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to be you know continuity lock but you know leonard mccoy is a certain way right. you know spock is a certain way the yeah. doctor is a certain type of character so right. you have expectations that fans sit there and go okay show me what you got right. and if it doesn't match up it doesn't it doesn't you know meet the standard you don't have a whole lot of room to complain because you did it wrong. 100%. So. 100%. Yeah, and this is a mistake I've made myself. I have worked on licensed properties and not shown the proper reverence for things. So, you know, I'm, 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 I, I, you know, I, I am, this is the pot calling the kettle black. This is something, again, I have, <laughs> I am rich in experience, as my grandfather said. I, these are all mistakes I have made myself. But um, I, I completely, you know, how would you handle Halo? Uh, have a story around Master Chief and make him more like magical or godlike, like a demigod or something yeah. like that. Don't tell the story through his. Well, and uh, I think I think the story. opportunity there is to is to take Master Chief, and and not being familiar with the game, I'm yeah. I'm I'm kind of spitballing here. But you make Master Chief like Boba Fett in The Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. there's mystery to him. You don't you don't tell very much about him he just does his thing and he does what he does and he you know he he does the missions and you have cortana and you have all of the different you know like you said the aspects that are around him right and he could be a central figure but he can still be a central figure without taking the mask off because darth vader is is an right. example of that um right. you know you have you have several different characters that are masked characters that have been effective characters yeah. so it's not something that you could i get it the actor wants his face to be seen okay yeah. fine but, but 
it's right. It's sort of like too bad. You want to face me, you know, yeah. you, I, I guess it's how I feel about um, changing, making uh, Ariel, the mermaid and African-American. Like if there's a good reason to do it, maybe there's a good reason for him to take off his mask, but yeah. I can't think of one. Like there are plenty of ways to tell that story without violating that norm of that story. So right. why, why do it? Like what's, what's the compelling reason you want your face to be shown? <laughs> that's not a, a no i'm sorry that's not a good reason that's just that's just not so yeah. so what was your turn oh. what was your turnaround moment because you talk about you know mm-hmm. when with the sad puppies were out you were kind of in that camp that these these were oh terrible nasty people yeah. and and you know you you've done the i'm just gonna make things up and not respect the lore what was your moment where you sat there and said aha this is not right um, I, I will never forget this. This is so vivid. This is so profoundly vivid in my mind. I was taking a, a, a television writing, um, seminar, like workshop. It was in Vermont. There was this big, uh, it's, I think it was Dorset, Vermont. Vermont is beautiful. It was, it was the fall. It was fall of, uh, October 9, 2016. This was right before the election, like right on the, on the threshold of the election. And um, there was this uh, writing workshop, but it was this gathering of television executives in Dorset, Vermont, which is so beautiful. Just and uh, my mother lived in Vermont at the time, and it was just like 20 minutes from my mother's. And I'll, I'll just remember these beautiful drives going back and forth. But the, the, the workshop itself was really weird. It just, just something was a little off about everything. And I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Now I understand what it is. Of course, it was wokeness. It was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. But it really came to a head when we had the um, the vice president of uh, diversity for HBO gave the keynote address, the kind of the, the final address at the end of this workshop. And she bragged about how there were, they, they had a production, an HBO production, in which there were uh, no white men working either uh, on, on the set, the actors or behind the cameras, as if it was a wonderful thing. And um, I sort of made friends with another guy there. He was, you know, Blanco, como, como yo, Blanco. <laughs> and we sort of turned to each other and he said, I guess we're, at, I don't know if you have swearing on here, but he said, I guess we're effed. And we both laughed and we just left. And I just realized this is, this is really wrong. Yeah. This is really, really wrong. Um, subs- but I, I was uh, subsequent to that. Uh, the Dog Park Papers came out the next year by James Lindsay, right. and that 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 really solidified things. I don't think anyone has done more than James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, and Peter Bogosian to expose this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, queer performativity and rape culture in Portland, Oregon dog parks. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess that's what did it. Well, and 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 at some point you look at this stuff and it's like this can't be real. The, this yeah. some of this stuff right. has to be performative, made up for yes. you know attention farming or drama farming or some kind of an agenda here. These people can't actually really believe this stuff, can they? Right. And, but a lot of them do. Right. And and it, you're right. right. It has in fact it's gotten into. All of our different media, all our entertainment, our news, our, our politics and everything. And it's good that there's been pushback. You know, you look yeah. at the Phantom Menace, you look at Comics Gate, yes. you look at all this indie indie stuff, um, things that the Daily Wire is doing. You, you got you got a lot of different 
you know, irons in the fire from various different people that are doing these projects. When when the Band of the Crow first was a thing, yeah. you had this first idea. Yeah. Did you ever consider pitching it to any of the the publishers? Like, because you worked with Image. Yeah. And, and uh, any yeah. any Dark Horse DC any of any of them? Did you ever think about pitching it? Yeah. This started well. You know, another part of my journey was you know no one comes. No one who's in an abusive cult believes that they're in an abusive cult. It doesn't work that way. If you had that revelation, you would leave. You would leave. So um, the Band of the Crow actually started as a novel. And trying to get the novel published was, you blame yourself. Now I understand. I, I, hopefully the story is good. I am not, I, I do know, come for Oren's art, if nothing else. Oren's art is well worth the price of admission for this story. That much I can 100% guarantee. I hope that the story is worthwhile. I, I do know that I worked very, very hard on the novel with some unbelievably talented editors who have worked with some very, very high profile fantasy writers. Um, and th so that was heartbreaking too. Uh, I'll never forget the, uh, Benet. Well, hopefully she's not, you know, woke now. I don't know. <laughs> but I, it, working with her was great. She was, I, I think she, editors are not name droppers too. They're very different from like agents or like, you know, executives or producers or directors or whatever. Yeah. But she's very cagey about her, her client list, but it was great working with her. And she, and you know, I, I, I finished with it. It was this intense year long project. She was just like, Ovid, I think this novel is fabulous. <laughs> I'm so proud of everything you've done. I think this is going to be a big hit and I can't wait to see what Bernadette was the agent Bernadette thinks, but it was just, everything was already into diversity then, but you know, you internalize it like a good person, sure. you internalize it. So I thought, Oh, it must not be very good. So, um, I was sort of in a moment of despair. I thought, well, I, I can turn it into a comic. I've, I've done that before. So, um, so, so whatever here, just, so, just so I understand you, you, you finished the novel and they, right. and they submitted it and, and everybody passed on it? Or did you even get to that part where you were submitting it yet? I, let's see, the, the, the process is this. Through my comics publishing, I had sort of a tenuous relationship with a literary agent. Okay. She led me along for like three years. She, she would say things like, but there's just, there's just an enormous power differential between a literary agent and a writer. I mean, some liter literary agents get like 700 submissions a week. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I understand it. There's a power differential there. And okay, if you're going to be a writer and write a novel, you are subjecting yourself to that, to that dynamic. Uh, but at the same time, it was really, really brutal. She just led me along for three years. She would say things like, um, um, I'm not, I, I, I am, I was about to say I'm not complaining, but of course I am. <laughs> she would say things like, I don't know. I just feel like the novel's too dense. I said, okay, um, could you give me an example of where the density is? And she said, no. <laughs> so it just, you're working yeah. off of these very vague um, guidelines. But yeah, I worked with Benet. I actually worked with a few great editors on it. I spent about three years editing the novel. Um, and that was that. <laughs> that was that. So uh, things didn't work out with that. Um Agent, I found another agent that was also just an extremely <laughs> psychologically wounding process uh, that came to an end. And um, yeah, I, it's funny, right around the election, 
right around 2016, I had this idea. I could turn it into a, um, a comic book. So, and, yeah. So the, the novel manuscript still exists, I would expect. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm working on the second one now, actually. I'm, I'm working on the second one. Well, somebody had asked earlier, because we were talking about the maze and the, and, and that, somebody had said, when does the when does the tabletop RPG adaptation come yeah. out of you know, that module? Are, are you looking for, you know, are you casting farther afield than not just the comic book, but a, I don't want to say an IP, but a, fra- yeah. a, a franchise where yeah. you're able to expand out and maybe the novel get self-published uh, or, or is a tier in the, in the crowdfunding campaign? What's your plan for the, for the actual book right. compared to the comic book or, or you know, anything I'm, else that you're planning to do with it, to expand into it? Uh, there's a, this is actually, I think some one at Yale came up with this, but this is actually a decision making model. It's called muddling through. In other words, the, the idea is just like, look, you can't project, you, you can't project, you probably don't even know what you're going to eat for lunch today. So don't worry about projecting like a year or even like three months, just kind of try to solve pro- today's problems today. Right. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no <laughs> clue what I'm doing. Would I love to um, get the novel published? Absolutely. I actually, I'm working on a card game. It's kind of based on Citadel combat cards and uh, Magic the Gathering. So I actually, I have a working card game that i've worked on i just sort of did it for fun um we'll see where the future holds i i I, i'm i've never been more excited and i've never had less of a clue about what the hell it is i'm doing so yeah (laughs) here i am hello world well and Um, and you've also got a youtube channel where you interview people you do live streams uh, very much like this how did how did you get started doing that was that just something was just a pastime during during covid or or was something else to it you know, you know, um, before I canceled myself, I was working with a very nice, um, what do you call it? A uh, PR marketing consultant. She does PR for comedy. She, I, I won't even like mention her name. I, I don't want to like, she, she, she is definitely not canceled and probably <laughs> wouldn't appreciate me mentioning her name, but I was very fond of her. And she said, look, you've got to get on to social media and build your platform. So I, I, I just, I hate the internet. I hate social media. I'm a big privacy um, believer in privacy. I don't like how Google makes money, but she said, you got to do it. You got to do it. If you're going to publish this comic. So I said, okay. So I got onto Twitter. I got onto Facebook and the instant I got onto Twitter, it was just like, Whoa, <laughs> I could not believe how bad things were in comics. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in my naivete, I thought, Oh, okay. Well, you know, book publishing is kind of woke. Actually, did you? Here's an amazing statistic: uh, uh, book publishing is 78 percent white women. That does not surprise me 78%, at all. Yeah. So you know, when they talk about diversity, what they mean is more people like me and less yeah. people. Yeah. Fewer people like you. So at any rate, I, I thought, okay, well, you know, comics. I'll go back comics. Uh, surely it's better in comics than it is in book publishing, <laughs> but it's not. I would say it's actually a lot worse in comics. Well, and you've got the added the added complication there that a lot of the people that are at the editorial level in comics now are people who are of an age. Right. They're in their late 20s, early 30s. You know, they're the they're the the, you know, they're Heather Antos's age or, you know, that 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 crop. And they don't know very much from very much. 
You know, right. you know, life experience does count for something. And, and right. you got these generations now where nothing happened before I was born. Right. And so if they have an idea that's brand new to them and they get all bent out of shape because you point out um, that was done 50 years ago. Or, you know, Marvel did this thing 20 years ago. DC did this thing 60 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you heard of this guy Faulkner? Or, or Asimov, or Bre- and I was looking at this thing. I was like, "Well, wait a minute. What was it? What was it? There was something that I that something that I saw the other day that was a a, a repeat of an idea, and I can't even remember what it was now. But some, somewhere I had read about this new project that was coming out. I was like, oh, well, they're they're doing this. They're doing a repeat of this thing, and I can't mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was now. Yeah. But it was basically just a complete copy. Right. Of something that had come before, I was like, "This is not original." You know, it's like in Star Trek, you know, making a big deal about Michael Barnum being the the first black lead of a Star Trek show. Um, the, the, uh, they, right. Hang on, Avery Brooks would like a word. Exactly. Yeah, they, and, they, they, a, a, Avery Brooks. If I could just jump, yeah, he is totally not woke. He has purposely said, "I don't think of myself as an African American actor." Yeah, because that's insulting to me. And yeah. lo and behold, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Avery Brooks, just salute. He's, I, I mean, he's, he, and, and there are other, there are other people out there that are like, yeah. why, why should that matter to right. the overall aspect of everything? And right. I, it's gratifying to see, at least for me, it's good to see people starting to push back on that stuff right. and sit there and say that, you know, color my skin doesn't make any difference. Right. Tell, tell the story to tell the story you want to be right. to tell. And, you know, Let's let's worry about milkshakes later. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is also I, I think what happens. This is called entryism. It's a form of political warfare. And this is what they do. They don't care about Star Wars, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Star Trek or whatever. They're not there to do that. They're there to destroy things. They are there to destroy things. This stuff, this woke stuff is incredibly yeah. destructive. So they don't care right. about that stuff. What they care about is doing activism. That's what they're there to do. They're there to be political yeah. commissars, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I think at some at some level, and and I'm probably uh, in the minority on this because we were talking mm-hmm. about this the other night on uh, on Comics Division Channel mm-hmm. uh, or or Cultures. I I can't remember. There was there was a discussion about this, and the fact that your your woke political ideology is now going scorched earth. I have to think at some point early yeah. early on that you know if you give them the benefit of the doubt maybe some of these leftists actually did have good intentions we want to expand the audience we want to yeah. make it more inclusive and all of that but then you sit there and say Kelly Sue DeConnick, I don't like what you did with Captain Marvel if you don't like my politics don't buy my book and you've got these self insert creators who now take umbrage that you insult them by insulting the work. By you, when right. you criticize the work, and it could be a valid critique, it could be a valid criticism, this, I don't like this craft that you right. used for this product. They take it personally that you're insulting them. And, and now we're at a point where all of these people have sat there and said, you don't like me. Right. Because you don't like what I did with the property. So all of this effort that I've done to change it, you don't like. Now I'm going to destroy it. 
Right. I think it's been a progression of, yeah, we want to make it more inclusive. Yeah, we want to make it better. We want to do something different with it. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? Now we're just gonna we're just gonna burn it down, and but salt they, the earth right. behind us. It, it, it is impossible. These people are religious maniacs. People say, "Oh, they're only doing this for the money." They don't care about. I, I just. I, I, yeah, they don't care about. They the don't money. care about the share price of Disney or Warner's Discover or, or 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 whatever. They do not care. This stuff is incredibly self-destructive. Yeah. These people are incredibly destructive. And you know, you ask yourself, what is the point of all this destruction and all this hatefulness? The destruction is the point. This is, this is, um, it's, it's, these are abuse tactics. These are abuse, people with abusive personality disorders. That's called cluster B personality disorders. Yeah. It's people yeah. who are basically abusive and psychopathic. I've and seen this is what happens when they take over. This is what happens. Yeah. I've seen a lot of discussion about cluster B personality stuff from Carrie, yeah. you know, people like Carrie Smith over at D program yes. talking about those. And so how do you coming in as a creator, and you're doing your world building. You're coming up with a brand new story. It's not based yeah. on anything. It's all completely right. original. How do you avoid the the ideological traps? You 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 want to make sure. Okay, I'm telling I'm telling the story first. How do you keep from making it a lecture? E even if you're on the other side of the aisle now, you know, conservative or liberal, either right. one. How do you make sure what what kind of efforts were in place for you to put those guardrails there that say, I'm telling the story. I'm not making a speech. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I, I wrote this story before I had my I don't know what you want to call it. My red pill moment. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You're I really epiphany. stand by it. I, I, I don't think I, I know for a fact. I, I know for a fact because I was one of them that there are a lot of people out there who are going along with this stuff because they honestly believe they've been manipulated into believing this, that this is, this is the right thing to do, that this is the good thing to do. I mean, you mentioned uh, the word um, inclusion. This is Humpty Dumptying. This is one of their tactics where they don't redefine um, the word inclusion. They add an additional secondary definition yeah. of, in of, of inclusion. And then they code switch between those two things. And then they say, oh, you like your version of inclusion? Well, we have an even better version of inclusion. And even though they're contradictory, you're supposed to somehow think that they're both, even though they're mutually incompatible, you're, just, you're supposed to think that, that they're somehow not in your mind, that it's some kind of grand paradox that only, only really spiritually and intellectually enlightened people can comprehend. Um, yeah. So anyway, to, to answer your question, I, 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 to my immense relief, I go back and I read this novel. I really don't see the politics in there. And I can say this much for myself, whatever faults I may have, whatever mistakes I may have made in my career, either you know before or post my self-cancellation, everything I did with good intentions. I never intentionally injected any of these abusive politics into yeah. my writing. So it's just something that I just don't worry about. And I'm just grateful for, for that. It's just something I... I I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. So the book launches in July. Uh, what kind of process are you going through right now? Are, are when when the when the campaign kicks off? Yeah. How close to complete are you going to be with the book? Yeah. Well, we're, we're, I'm really excited for this first campaign. We're going to do a loss leader first campaign. 
Um, so we're going to be publishing a floppy, a 30-page floppy, which I will sell at a loss. Um, right now, these are just the pricing I'm thinking about. So don't, you know, don't hold me to this, but I'm thinking right. we're going to sell it for $5. If you get it on the first day, um, I'll give it to you for 40% off, 3 bucks. And if you give me your email address for my newsletter, I'll give you free shipping. So I will sell you a comic. That's ambitious. You for, for, for three bucks. Yep. That's ambitious. Yep. Uh, what's, what's the reasoning behind that? Um, I think that uh, I was actually thinking about Costco. I'm sort of a Costco fiend. Um, there's a, uh, the hot dog and soda combo. Yeah. And Costco. There's a famous story uh, about the, the legendary, you know, CEO, founder, guy of Costco. This is back in like, now you can still go into Costco today and get the $4 roast chicken. And a hot and a hot dog soda combo for a dollar fifty. And like back in like 1992, they had a board meeting. They said, "Uh, Steve, you know, we 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 really need to raise the price on the on the, on the hot dog combo." And he said, "So this is like legendary." He said, "If you change the effing price on the effing hot dog, I will effing kill you." <laughs> I, I remember that. that story. Yeah. Well, and and you're that. right. It's an entry point. It, right. It's, exactly. It's, hey, I'm going to go because I personally I like Costco's pizza. There you and go. Right. You go in, you go in right. for a slice of pepperoni and oh, look at all of right. the stuff that we right. can get here while we're here. So, right. yeah, exactly. I, exactly. So, you know, uh, proof of concept. I think people have been burned on a lot of campaigns. Let me prove myself to you. I've never done this before. I've never crowdfunded a comic before. I have fairly good bubble test intelligence. I'm a fairly well-organized person. I have good executive functioning. I'm sure I can do it, <laughs> but let me prove it to you. Let me sell you a comic. For three bucks, free shipping. And I know you'll, I know, I believe in this story so much. I know you will come back for the first campaign when we launch it. Um, now, is this it, is another, th- yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, please. Uh, I was going to say, is that free shipping uh, just for the, for continental United States, North America, or is that everywhere? Because cost of shipping overseas right. I know, is quite I know. high. We'll probably do something like we have to think about where we're going to sell it. Australia is very, but you know, Comicsgate is great. There are uh, people like Michael Bancroft, who is absolutely brilliant. One of the best people I've met in Comicsgate. I know there are people who will help you with distribution to Australia. That's something we have to think about where we're going to offer it. But right, that'll be free. I don't know, something like this. This is all up in the air, but something like free domestic shipping and maybe half off for international shipping. Let me, let me put you like in that. touch. Let me put you in touch with RJ Carter over at critical blast logistics. He, he yeah. does this for a number of different, uh, campaigns yeah. in terms of fulfillment. So, uh, I'll send you, I'll send you his contact information Thank and you. put you in touch with him. He can help you out there. I would so. appreciate that. Yeah. So after, yeah, yeah. after this floppy goes, assuming mm-hmm. it's successful and it does what you want it to do, yeah. what's the plan for the next campaign? Then I guess the, the, now the real story can be told. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's the, the floppy is hopefully the, the idea is it's going to be collectible. I'll, I'll sell it cheaply, but then thereafter, you know, in other words, uh, don't wait for the sale. Do not wait for the sale. The crowdfunding campaigns are the sale. Like yeah. it's the price is not going to go down on that floppy. Get it now. I will sell it for a considerable markup later on, on my you know, Shopify site or whatever the, um, the floppy is going to be the first half of the first album. And that's how we're going to be selling this. It's beautiful. Actually, I was in supermarket um, looking at like air fryer recipes because I you know, got an air fryer and I saw this air fryer, like, like, you know, like best recipes, air fryers magazine. And it was just, there was like a holy nimbus descending, like a, like a ray of light 
on this magazine. I was just like, that's it. That's the perfect dimension for my comic. So uh, we're going to sell it. I, I, I do not like the format for uh, just the, the dimension, the, the standard spinner rack dimension for comics. I don't think there's any reason that I'm beholden to that dimension anymore. I call sure. it the plantation dimension. So I'm throwing it out. <laughs> we're doing this in a beautiful oversized format. Uh, we're going to sell it in albums. Um, I don't know. It, we, we may do hardcover. We may not. But looking at more um, of a European release schedule, this is how they do things in Europe. Okay. They're prestige. Uh, a lot of work goes into making them. They sell them for a lot of money and it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. So, yeah. Um, the final thing I should say about us is we, I, I, I think you are asking for a lot of trouble if you don't have the production done beforehand. Yeah. So I, I, I am going to do I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to do my best to make sure that we don't start a campaign until we have the production work finished. So that people can have that confidence. At, at the yeah. very at the very least, uh, having it at the printer by the time you launch right. is is a is a best is a good step. Yeah. Um, maybe not necessarily because you know it could it could go gangbusters and suddenly you sell a hundred thousand but you only printed ten. So yeah, it was like yes. well, okay, we need to change our order. But at le right. at least having having it at the printer right. ready to go. Yeah, I think right. by the time you get there, then, you know, once you launch, you can sit there and go, okay, it's at the printers. It's ready to go. All we got to do is just tell them how many to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, um, there's a great, I did pre-press back in the day. I, I, I learned how to letter comics myself. I learned how to do pre-press. In fact, I did pre-press professionally in New York city for like, seven years or something like that. So this is something I'm very well versed. Man, it's a lot easier today than it used to be. <laughs> wow. It's easier. Yeah. I cannot believe, Oh, I have all these memories of, um, like with the CD, there was a, um, FedEx location at 53rd and third. And I was living in New York city in Manhattan. of just like running because <laughs> it closed at 11 o'clock. But if I could get there at 11 PM, I could get it to the printer by the next day, just being like, <gasps> <gasps> like showing them like, like, like Excalibur, like the Holy grail, showing them the CD. Yeah. It's so much easier now. Uh, color correction, color fidelities, color management. So much easier. I'm, I'm a, I'm a wiser and a sadder man with this stuff. And I just found this out. There's a phenomenal uh, offset printer right near me. So it is just fun. I, I got a great quote from them. I saw their stuff. They're incredibly nice and professional. So, I mean, I'm excited for this kind of stuff. It's entrepreneurialism. I can just have it printed there. I can go there and look at the galley proofs myself. I don't have to pay for shipping. I can just rent a U-Haul truck and just kind of like. Just go get them. <laughs> hump it all, <laughs> hump it all to my basement. Yeah. Now, yeah. where, where are you located now? Just in general, just generally speaking. Well, you know, that's another thing about my awakening. I, I live in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is the ah. home of Smith College. It's just like. You want to talk about woke Northampton is like, whoa. yeah, up in, up in new England. There's, there's a few of those yeah. spots. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about yourself? Where, where, where are you located? We're in Kansas city. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a little hopefully, but you know, even I was thinking Carrie Smith was saying this, even in Texas, that they've got all this yeah. woke stuff coming into the schools. Well, yeah, the Austin, Austin and Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston are the big blue cities there okay. in, in Texas. And, okay. and it's a lot like most, most red States. 
mm-hmm. you know, you, Missouri being uh, an example too. St. Yeah. Louis is the biggest urban, you know, metropolitan area, mm-hmm. and it's very blue. Kansas City is very blue. Yeah. But you get out to the suburbs, you get out to the the rest of the state, right. and it's not, and it's not even purple. It's 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 full red. Right. And, Profundo rosso. Yeah. And and that's that's how a lot of these states are. Yeah. Where if you have these these core bastions of right. progressive left liberal Democrat and and the rest of the state is sane. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. that, that sort of thing there. So uh, you know what's yeah. funny? Uh, Ma- Massachusetts is like that too. The Northampton area is very liberal, yeah. but just just drive five minutes into Hatfield or whatever. Well, I it's mean, it's all like don't tra- you know Gadsden flags and pickup trucks. You know, it, yeah. you, know you look at the difference between uh, New York City proper and upstate New York, for example. That's right. You know, that's same right. same kind of thing. So, same thing. Well, yeah. What were you saying? Even California. Cal- yeah, California, because right. most of most of Northern California. Is is conservative? You 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 know you have your you know San Francisco and Los Angeles and and such. Um, you know even in where is it Oregon? Those five five six counties that want to become part of Idaho now just to get away from Oregon politics. It, oh wow! It's out there. It's right. out there. So right. Yeah. So yeah. all right. So July when twenty twenty four. Have you picked a date? Yeah. You know I'm kind of like I'm going on a little trip to Japan with my son in the beginning of July. So probably towards the end of July, that'll be kind of be my last hurrah. I mean, it's go time. Once the campaigns are going, uh, I am fortunate in that I have, uh, my, my family has financial resources. My, my, my grandmother actually specifically, you know, bless her soul. When she passed away, she left me uh, a pretty significant sum of money and <laughs> this is how I'm spending it. I guess it's better than like drugs and gambling and hookers <laughs> yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Marginally better, marginally better than that. Well, um, but I'm serious about this and you know, I can do this for a long time. I, I am, I am deadly serious about this. I'm going to make this comic a success. Who are some of your comic book influences? We talk about Tolkien. We talk about the stuff yeah. pre Tolkien, but on yeah. the comic book side, who, who, who do you look to as a, as an influence? Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't read a lot of American comics. I think I, I never, I never really broke into superhero comics. I, I, I wish I had, I certainly tried, but I just don't have that like burning desire to tell a Batman story. Yeah. I, 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 I would love to. Um, everything I read was more Japanese and European basically. So those are my two influences, you know, uh, uh, some, you know, Jean Garreau, um, there's uh, Enrico Marini, um, Eagles of Rome, man. So many amazing things yeah. in the uh, Franco-Belgian world. A yeah. lot, a lot of metal hurlant in that, maybe. Yeah, metal hurlant. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I in college, I remember. Unfortunately, I think uh, who who bought it? One of the turtles. They're from Northampton. Uh, Kevin Eastman. I, yeah, I, Eastman. Yeah. He bought he bought heavy metal, and it, it kind of like there was a pretty precipitous decline in the quality, unfortunately. But you know. I remember in college, my college bookstore would get heavy metal magazine. This is back in the nineties, man. I looked forward to that. I looked forward to that. I, I was there that I knew the day it came out. I was there to just snap up my copy of heavy metal. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and I think we've seen a decline, not, not necessarily always because of politics, but we've seen a decline on a lot of different publications over the years. Yeah. Some of it, yeah. You know, like Starlog magazine, for example, died because the internet became a thing. Yes. You know, and we've seen Fangoria come back. Starlog yeah. has yet to make a, a, an, an appearance. Although, yeah. 
I keep hearing, I keep hearing hints that something is going to happen with Starlog maybe this year, but I don't know. My guess is we'll get a we'll get an official digital archive of the magazine. I don't know that it'll go beyond okay. that. Uh, but even you know, even the previous owners had a had a thought of a plan that maybe they would do something with Starlog. I'd love to see that come back. I would too. But there's a lot of different things, you know, a lot of publications, both digital and physical that have just gone away. Some of it's, uh, some of it's politics, some of it's economy. Right. And, you know, especially post pandemic when, you know, all yep. of this stuff started costing way too much to do, you know, the cost of paper, the cost of shipping and, you know, supply chain, all this other stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's sad. You know, I, I remember when I think it was in 2004, a long time ago, when Mad Magazine stopped publishing, I, I, it still I, yeah. it breaks my heart to this day. Well, and now Sports it's Illustrated hard. is gone. Unbelievable! They, they got sold to like a holding company. Yeah, man. Yeah. They got sold to this woke holding company. They 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 wokeified it. Abject disaster. Just a flaming disaster. Flaming disaster. Yeah, it's mm. it's something. All right, Ari, well, we've got links to all of your stuff in, in our show notes. And uh, when the book launches, let's have a, uh, let's have a discussion about uh, what it looks like and all of the different tiers that are available and everything. And maybe we'll do a little bit of a launch party for you. That would be lovely. Thank you, Jason. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the support. It is, yeah, I, you know, I curl up in a fetal position and hyperventilate myself to sleep every night. So uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, Arvid Nelson, right. thanks very much. Crowfire Studios is the name of the company. And the book, Band of the Crow, uh, which is coming to it. Where, where is it going to crowdfund? Is it Indiegogo or is it uh, it's Kickstarter? Oh, oh no, just, it's it's your own thing. Uh, ever so quickly. I'm excited for this, too. We're going to figure out which platforms work for us. So the plan is to, to launch simultaneous campaigns on Indiegogo, Kickstarter, and Fund my comic. I, I really, I think, I, I, just, I really support what the Fund My Comic guys are doing. Uh, so you'll be able to get a special variant cover uh, there as well. We have some beautiful variant covers that we're going to have exclusive to each of those three campaigns. Now, so, see, uh, now that's that's interesting because I have I have not seen very many campaigns go simultaneous like that. A lot of some of them will do the Indiegogo campaign yeah. and then they'll do the Kickstarter. Right. You know, it fun. My comic is is a recent addition to the mix. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen too many people that have done d- simultaneously. Will the platforms let you do that? They will if you have. Uh, Billy Tucci is the one person who does this. It works very well for him. I think it's a great strategy. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. That, this that is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. In as many platforms as possible. That is the strategy. All right. Total domination. Okay. To scorched earth. Well, so, the, yeah. The Band of the Crow is the title of the book. It is out July 2024. Uh, Arvid Nelson of Crowfire Studios. Thanks very much for being here, sir. All right. And when we get back, we will take your calls. So, Arvid, thanks very much for being here. Everybody else, stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio because it's the second best invention in the history of the world. 
Sci-Fi for Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi for Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. As you can see here, those of you who are watching the video, uh, office dogs are generally not impressed by anything that we do. Pretty typical. Senior office dog, junior office dog there in the studio. Of course, we've got Todd back over here holding the fort down. Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker. Going into our third hour, this is the open line portion of the program. Uh, Mazerus boosting the signal for the live call portion of the stream. Thank you very much. Uh, and a new, uh, a new uh, follower, Billy Basco, in there. You need unique covers for each platform. Talking to uh, talking to Arvid about that. Uh, says, uh, first time watcher, new follower. Thanks very much for being here. I appreciate that. It is always good to see new names in the chat. New uh, new people along for the ride. It is uh, it is fun to do. So Crowfire Studios, this the uh, the um, uh, band of the Crow project that's going there. Let me get here to. Ba -da -ba -da -bum -bum -bum. Let me get the link because I got to get the link, and then I got to get this done and do that and do that and do that because. I can't just put it into the app that I use because then I can't pin it. Uh, so here we go. Uh, join the show. And let's come in that. And pop. And pop. And pop. One man show says office dog is dreaming of being, being recognized as top office dog. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I... Junior office dog, both of them, both of them have this habit of um, getting getting a piece wrong. If you will, if you will notice, uh, junior office dog here in the foreground, uh, Penny, the uh, miniature pincher, uh, she is not on a blanket in this in the, in in this room. She is atop one of those uh, get inside. The TP, uh, it's a it's a fabric padded uh, little TP affair, little little igloo. That's a cat the a cat bed, is it not, Mrs. Boss? Yes, it's originally for the cats. And every time I come down into the studio, one of these dogs is on top of it, not inside it. So I I am compelled uh, to point out to them that they're doing it wrong because. Uh, I showed them, I showed them how to do it. I showed them how to, uh, how to, to get inside there. And yet, it doesn't quite, uh, it doesn't quite go. Uh, 
So anyway, all right, uh, joining the program backstage right now, Stephanie Janicek is here. Welcome. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just um, a lot of stuff is going on right now. Uh, and I wanted to kind of, it's not really breaking news, but it was really hilarious. This morning I woke up having coffee, just did a Cara Dune uh, video because apparently uh, one of her, uh, the figure that they had at some secret squirrel thing at uh, Disney inside the movies, Disney, whatever. Mm -hmm. Inside uh, the magic. Sold out. It's gone. It's sold out. All right. So if you go on Comron's Patreon, uh, he has an idea that it was a trial balloon to see just how popular her, her character is. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and that could have done what it is, but the context is Moff Gideon's uh, figured sold out too. Um, but this is what happened. Okay. So I'm drinking coffee, reading the news. Um, and my IMDb pro came up with a, a notification. So I opened it. A guy named Chase Garcia is directing and producing a star Wars story project called the dissidents. And I, I went to the page. I looked and I looked and Lucasfilm, it says is re is, doing it it's there behind it i'm like i didn't hear about this what's going on so then um uh i looked at the filmmakers kathleen kennedy is named and after digging on instagram it is a fan film that had two thousand dollar budget and all they could film was a, a pocket trailer for it and that's it somebody is going around uh trying to make it look like she's making a fan film now. I got to tell you, if it's a joke, I laughed so hard. I couldn't stop. Huh. If it's like, if she did it, I mean, if she wants to do that, lo, all the mighty have fallen, you know, that just doesn't, um, yeah, that doesn't seem like it would be anything that she would be involved in. If it's a fan production that, that, that seems to be kind of a conflict of interest, counterintuitive. Uh, yeah, it bit. is. Um, I looked at it and I was like, okay, um, like, okay, let me, let me find what I'm looking for. Of course, in the wrong spot. Um, <laughs> you, it, you didn't I, come prepared, Stephanie. You didn't I, come prepared. I, you know me. <laughs> I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of a bubblehead. Um, really, I am. That's true. Um, a guy I know who's very close to a few of the, uh, to, to somebody that, has had run-ins with her. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say who, but he was an un, he was an un, uh, named, uh, actor and stand in, in Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny. Okay. Um, he is the one that found the messages saying, uh, this, you know, well, we've got, the, this is from 20 July 25th, 26th, 2017, that the show was on hold. And then he found the budget $2,000. I'm like, what is going on here? So if you guys hear people talking about this and acting like, oh, my gosh, she's got another show. No, she doesn't. This is, no. this is somebody playing a trick. And it's either people on the inside at, at Lucasfilm that are trying to, I don't know, cause trouble. And we know who they are. Um, names will be nameless, but you know their uh, initials. It's somebody like on our team causing trouble and playing a joke 
or it's somebody high up at Lucasfilm or even Disney trying to make a point to Kathleen. All right. Because there's a lot of uh, the stuff that I, that Cameron had heard about what Favreau thought about the Acolyte. I mean, this looks, when I looked at the production stills of this show, because they are production stills, and I looked at the Acolyte, they're the exact, they're horrible. They're just as horrible as they're, it's, it's horrible. It's like Sony went out with an iPhone and didn't even do it right. And um, so it's really interesting. I don't know what it means, but I got a good chuckle out of it. And I thought I might as well come on here and uh, warn everybody. You may hear, you may get some hysterics from people in the Phantom Menace. So, so and the project the, you said the project was called the Dissidents. The di- Dissidents, a Star Wars story. Okay. Yeah. And it was on yeah. IMDb Pro where you found this. Uh huh. Interesting. Huh. Yep. Yep. And of course, on my old phone, it won't open up. But um, and of course, this they won't. They don't like to share pictures unless they make them. Right. Um, it, it's it's just like well, let me see. I can find something that uh all right here. So here here it is we found it here okay. this is a star wars story director chase garcia writer glenn upsall cinematographer chad rain chad rain didn't isn't chad rain didn't chad rains do the um do the obi-wan short with uh jamie what's his name i i think maybe he did i don't know i know that the cinematographer did thatcher was that the movie with uh uh Meryl Streep. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm like going, why would they? This looks, I mean, it just looks absolutely crazy. And then when you hit the full list of filmmakers, Kennedy's name comes up. It's like, and, you know, I got to say this. This might have been an old entry that, that people missed. And this this movie was so memory hold that no one remembered what it really was because I didn't even hear about it back in 2017. I've never heard about this. I've never heard and, about this at yeah. all. And, yeah. and for it to be a short, that doesn't make any sense because Lucasfilm hasn't been doing shorts like this, not live action shorts. No, they, they haven't. So this is, this is a bullshit entry. And this is telling me that, perhaps a lot more of the, the stuff that she's got listed. Cause she's like got like 25 projects listed. Yeah. Are bl- okay. You know, like, like the star Wars trilogy. Are you kidding me? Why? Again, if you've got this movie, this, the short listed and it's actually not really connected to Lucasfilm beyond IMDb. Mm-hmm. And we all know it. Why would we believe anything else now? All right. And I'll admit, when IMDb Pro had Harrison Ford listed as showing up in the last episode of the Book of Boba Fett, I was I was like, yay, okay, because he was listed. Yeah. Then a week later, they took him off, and probably whoever put him on there got yelled at. Well, or, now, no, now, with regard to IMDb, I will. I have. We've we've gone through this before. IMDb is like Wikipedia. If you have an IMDb account, you can go into any listing on IMDb and you can add or take away, and and it's not necessarily one hundred percent accurate. Anything that you find on IMDb. 
Now, oh, yeah. Yeah. IMDb Pro is a little bit better because you have to have the paid pro account in order to get there, and that gets yeah. you access to a lot of other information. But for this yeah. thing to be listed here, my guess, as far as Kathleen Kennedy being listed as an executive producer, my guess is that somehow they're going to credit her because this is based on Star Wars executive producer Kathleen Kennedy. So it's it's a it sounds like this is a nonsense credit because yeah, I, for a lot of fan yeah. films, especially if they use music by John Williams or Joel McNeely or James yeah. Horner or anything like that, they'll you know Jerry Goldsmith, they'll credit those guys because they're using that music from some other movie or TV yeah. show or something. So it sounds like yeah. if this is a fan film, that sounds like what that might be is they'll just give her a, a credit on it just because she's the president of Lucasfilm. Yeah. Well, that, that could be. And it's just kind of well, an acknowledgement there. Yeah. So, yeah. But when they, it, it just acknowledging her and then adding Lucasfilm as being like behind it. Yeah. If, if I had press, if I had a press, pass or whatever i call him and say is this real is, is, do you guys even know this this show exists yeah you know because it doesn't make any sense and i don't remember her being acknowledged for like uh that that movie about the rancor uh the the making of a mon uh the making of a monster yeah did you, did you ever see that i uh, um, no it's, all right it, it's about it's actually about the Rancor Keeper. And he's a little boy. He's living out on Tatooine. The person, the woman who's like, whatever she was, who's, she's like the three, the six-breasted woman that was dancing yeah. at Jack's Palace. And she's horrible um, to him. And she makes him go hunting every day. He goes into the cave and finds a, a, a Rancor egg. And it, it, it hatches. And he takes care of it. And she ends up chasing him back to the cave and the rancor eats her. And then at the end, they show Bib Fortuna showing up and there it is. And the little yeah. boy goes and helps take care of him. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the stills here because there's, yeah. there's stills in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is talking about. This has got, this has got to be a fan film. It is a fan film. It has it to is. be. It's, it's absolutely, you know, and, I had not seen it acknowledged before. Like they have had hazardly put out notifications. Yeah. From from my DV Pro, and I looked at it. and was like, oh my god, this is awful. This just looks awful. So here's I, here's my guess, and and okay. this is this is a complete guess on my part. But having having gone through the process of uh, listing projects on IMDb. Uh, if these are fans, and yeah. if they're sensitive to the fan film environment that comes post Axanar over at Star Trek, yeah, and they're worried about uh, potential litigation, it's possible yeah. that they've listed Lucasfilm as a company and Kathleen Kennedy on there because they think maybe that gives them cover that we're acknowledging that these people own it and run it and create it and we don't want them to sue us and it seems to me like 
they might have put Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy on there not knowing exactly what the process actually is for doing an IMDb listing. Yeah, yeah. That's the I, only you know, thing that I can think of why Lucasfilm would be on this project because I have I I just looking at the stills, this doesn't look like anything that Lucasfilm would be doing. No, it doesn't. It looks I mean, the blue alien behind the guy looks like a cross between Avatar and Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, what is that? Um, it, it just, it, it's really, uh, but again, you could be right. But I don't remember any other fan film for Star Wars doing that. Yeah. Um, they might have thought they should do that. Uh, the fact of the matter is they can't, they can't they, and, and again, it just makes her, her the, the body of her, what she's supposed to be working on look like it's very busy, which makes me wonder if she didn't allow that to be put on there anyway. Yeah. Um, or it's a joke to get people talking. Um, you know, and again, it could have been on there. I don't remember seeing it. That's on her resume. I don't remember seeing it on her filmography before today. And I'm like, this is, I mean, this is hilarious. This is, you've got to be kidding me. And, and if, if they did it for reasons not to be sued, okay, fine. Um, but it could be any possibility. It could be that, it could be her, it could be one of her minions, uh, either at Lucasfilm that's still there that's crying and whining and having a meltdown behind the scenes, or one of her minions that uh, right now, I mean, and this is a private conversation to have. I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, one of her other minions who feels uh, jilted, um, or it could be one somebody on our side playing a joke, you yeah. know, or trying to engender a conversation, or it could be somebody high up making a point to Kathy saying, "This is what you get. All you do is this is fan film. This is as good as you'll ever get." Um, and uh, you know that's passive aggressive. But after working where I used to work, Capitol Hill, passive-aggressive is the way people like that play. They never get in your face. And when they do, it's like a nuclear bomb went off. And, you know, like, you saw the video where he, uh, Steven Spielberg, basically on purpose ignored her at the Indiana Jones. Oh, right, right, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is the example of passive-aggressive in your face. Yes, She's standing right there. She's standing behind George. Harrison Ford is looking at her and then looking at Stephen. And she's trying to hide behind George Lucas at the end. It's like, you can't use him as a crash helmet. Okay, stop it. Um, but yeah, uh, and to me, anything is possible, right? It, it just, to me, it was so funny to see that. It's like, that's a fan film. Yeah. You know, I mean... Well, and and look, looking at okay, so I just tried to send Chase Garcia an email to uh, ask him and say, "Hey, is this thing?" And I'm getting a bounce back message that I guess maybe the it says mailbox unavailable, invalid uh, uh, DNS. So the the email address is not good anymore. But oh. here's here's the here's the question. This is something that I've noticed because we're talking about this possibly being. You know, a, you know, a fan film, they just put Lucasfilm in there as as cover, as yeah. a as a just in case. Yeah. But 
how many people have uh, how many people have the 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 mailing address is is the mailing address for Lucasfilm on Lucasfilm's website? Uh, I can look. Let me look. Okay, let's be Lucas. I guess I could send no. some. I guess I could send some email to to um some of my other contacts at Lucasfilm say because they they've never answered me back on anything else. I don't know that they'd answer me on this one either. But yeah, um, there is no. Careers get in the door. News campuses, our story. Yeah, I don't see anything for contacts. Because this this listing has a PO box here, and I'm wondering where that information came from. I don't. I wouldn't. I. I. I mean, that doesn't. That doesn't even sound right. No. I mean, if you, it would be because my IMDb Pro won't work here for some reason on this phone. Um. Probably have to get yet another subscription to make it work. <laughs> make any sense? Um, I can't. No, there isn't. There aren't any how to contact. But I have seen their um, okay campuses. Let's look at that one. Okay, uh, I know that the phone number is like four one. Okay. P.O. Box 29901, San Francisco, California, yeah. 94129, phone number 415-631000. Yeah. So, okay. So it's on the website. So they could have pulled it from the website and put it in here. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that anything is as far as that goes. Well, you know, okay. Uh, it, 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 interesting. Well, we'll have to send, I'll send some emails out today and see if we can track something down on this. Yeah, because it's 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 now I'm like okay now I want to know what's going on. It's got it's got to be just a fan film. They just put Lucasfilm in there just because Lucasfilm makes Star Wars. Yeah, that, has, that that's my guess. That could be, um, or you know, there's there are tons. That's probably the biggest one. But when you can go on IMDb Pro and change things around, like when when uh, again I'm going to go back to. When Harrison Ford was supposed to be in uh, the uh, Book of Boba Fett and everyone's having a meltdown and then they took his name off there and yet you're hoping that you see him and he wasn't, somebody put it on there and then they was forced to take it off. Yeah. I have a theory on that because the show didn't wasn't as good as it should have been. And John was not going to put that character in something that bad, that's bad. Right. You know? Um, but, yeah, Skywalker Sound's got a P.O. Box. Or, yeah, Skywalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. um, all of them do. I mean, so, you know, uh, it's very interesting to me uh, watching this as it goes. I mean, they got the Acolyte on the, the, the webpage. It's like... Okay, well, we're, if we're going to pretend that's going to happen, okay, we'll let you pretend, all right? Well, you know, and here's your tapioca, you know? You know, it, I, I, have, I have come to the point where whatever project is we're talking about, whether it's Acolyte or Bad Batch or Andor or the Ray movie or, you know, whatever Mangold is working on, any of these things— yeah. Given how many things have been announced and not come to fruition, 
Yeah. I yeah. have I have taken taken the position that it's not real until it hits a screen. Yeah. And I, I, so I could sit there and say, okay, yeah, that's nice. And or season two, the good, good, good luck with that. Yeah. You know, or, when is it? Yeah. Know. It's like that. They don't even talk about that. If it's on, and, if it hits a screen, then it's real. And, and I'll, yeah. I'll know it's legit, but until then yeah. you could talk about it till the cows come home. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's happening. Or, okay. or you could get into a point like with, with Ahsoka season two, that has been shifted back into development instead of active production. And yeah, okay, maybe that is still a real thing, but you're not working on it right now, so it's not. So Well, I, th I, um, I think there's some things going on. If you remember Drunk 3PO, God, it was in November, he dropped the dime that there were emails out there yeah. that would hit the trades or in some other way. Yeah, I was then, on that stream when he dropped that, and everybody kind of went, what? Do tell yeah. us more. Yeah. And, and yeah. then he sat there and said, um, I can't. <laughs> I was just like, Jay, yeah. you can't just drop something like that and then just just let it go. I mean, what's what's the story here? But yeah, yeah. Uh, for those who missed it, uh, Drunk3POJ, we were on uh, Culture Casino's late night stream on Sunday night, and he mentioned in past, because we were talking about Gina Carano, and the situation with her and how that had gone on, and the fact that possibly there was a series, a set, a collection of email communications back and forth that could be damaging to certain yeah. people and, and yeah. companies. So I haven't seen hide nor hair of that anywhere else. I mean, people people picked up on when Jay said that, and there were some coverage there, but I haven't seen anything past that since. Yeah. So Tina we're still on, waiting for that to drop. Yeah, Tina on uh, X the next day made um, a heavy duty, a heavy duty subtext laden statement. Yeah, I remember that. Kind of validating it. And Conron talked to his contact, uh, Little Brown Bird Sparrow, and Sparrow said, "Bob Iger and John Favreau are behind it. They're the ones who are doing it." Yeah. And he said that uh, apparently, and this is just speculation, but it was kind of, you know, you're kind of like a whatever, that um, John John met Gina out, just a casual lunch or whatever. Um, so the feeling is, because I, I basically asked, are these going to drop? And question went out and the reply came back, Bob Iger gave Kennedy till February, and then he's going to do it. Now, February is when the first quarter earnings report comes out. Yeah, Nelson Peltz breathing down his neck. Yeah. I believe that these exist. I do. Um, uh, but I don't know right now with all the, all the stuff going down with Peltz, if Iger's got the cojones to do it. Now, if he did... Because I think part of Pelz's problem is looking at Lucasfilm saying, what the f is going on there, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think actually I've, I've heard that Kennedy actually tried to get Pelz, tried to talk to Pelz about her plight. And Pelz is like, I got no time for you. Yeah. You know, um, he wouldn't talk to her. Why? You know, she's part of the reason why Disney's failing right now. 
Um, well, and and given the fact that her contract is up and she's on her way out anyway, she's she's close to retirement. No matter what happens, yeah, Peltz yeah. wouldn't have any reason to want to talk to her because she's she's the old guard. Yeah, she's not going to be would, there very yeah. much longer anyway. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, they want her to go now. Okay, they want her to announce she's retiring, and the whole thing where Favreau did the official Grogu. Mandalorian movie statement yeah. and added Ahsoka is uh, season two is in development um, is an announcement. I think everybody was waiting for. Uh, and then of course the Ray movie starts coming up and it's like, when you look at Daisy's or an IMDb resume thing, she's got a lot of stuff she's supposedly working on, but she's talking about this every time they open up their, uh, every time some reporter asks her and, uh, Again, um, I've got evidence of a certain uh, Lucasfilm employee talking to the reporter who dropped a thing. Oh, it's the Ray movie's not delayed under Gizmodo. Now, I can't see what was being said, but I have what the reporter said. Yeah. And I basically, I think what's going on here with the Ray movie is that somebody is trying to undermine what John and Dave are doing. And, and basically take away their their thunder because they know how much everybody hates the idea of a Ray movie. It's just stupid. Um, and when I every time I think about it and I look at what this guy said, and then he was on Blue Skies saying how he's stirring the pot. Yeah. And he's talking well, to this reporter. It's like... And, and- Personally, though, I, I'll, I'll, I'll even say I don't even think that a Mandalorian Grogu movie is a good move either. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Grogu's story was supposed to be done. Yeah. And, you I, know, and to have have that come up, I was like, OK, that that feels like an attempt at a fix or something. I don't know. But it, it, that that project isn't even necessary. I don't think I, I actually it what right. I think is going on is that when the strikes were going on and Favreau had time, he took Mandalorian season four, looked at it and thought we can do this as a movie. That's what he did. And I think that's where uh, the story is going to end. I think the Mandalorian Mandoverse will go out from that. Yeah. Um, and from what Sparrow said is that it's going to lead right into heir to the empire. And God knows how they're going to approach that because that's a completely different story from what uh, Filoni's written before. So yeah, I don't see how um, they could do that. I mean, uh, as as much as I would love to see the 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 original Thrawn trilogy a- adapted, I also think that it's a mistake to do that kind of thing. And if because for for whatever whatever flaws and faults Kennedy had. She does. She does have a point in that. If you go back to try to adapt something from the EU, what do you do, and how do you do it in a way that's not beholden to all of the other stories and have to do homework? Yeah, you know, well, there's there's something to be said for doing an original Star Wars movie that that's not adapting anything. That's that's one. And then the other part of that is if you're doing Heir to the Empire. And if you do it right, you got to recast everybody or do it animated. 
Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, I, there are ways. There are ways of making it so it fits into the Ahsoka season two opens up that part. Yeah, but then uh, then then you're just telling a bastardization of the story. You can't do a direct adaptation without changing it all. And then why yeah. why even bother? But they do that. But they do that all the time. I mean, the only time I've ever seen like miniseries, the only time we've ever seen a miniseries follow the story verbatim was War and Remembrance. And that was two weeks of staring at the TV set. <laughs> um, if that, that thing's over a thousand pages long. Right. No, no, and I know. I, it used to, used to be like that. But what I'm talking about is, is even, even looking at, you know, all of, the, all of the Marvel adaptations like Secret Wars and Civil War and all of those, all of the different changes that they make, you, you, it, 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 it renders it almost unnecessary that you even do it as an adaptation. Just, just make up something new. If you got all these characters and you're going to mix in, just you know, just do something original with it. And you've already declared the EU uh, non-canon and off limits. You know why cherry pick and choose whatever you're going to do? Just do something new with it. I think uh, what they're going to do with it. They've already pulled out Thrawn and are using him. Um, I think they're going to take what was best, and I don't. That doesn't bother me as long as it's good. Yeah. Uh, if it's, you know, and if they, you know, re have to recast, uh, like Luke Skywalker, don't pick Sebastian Stan. He's too tall. All right. My problem with recasting is you got to be consistent. The reason why I hated Alden Ehrenreich. I call him awful Aaron Yuck. Is he's five foot five. He's got a head the size of a watermelon. And he's about as masculine as, you know, my dog in drag. You know, it's like, you know, it just, it just, when I saw him, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, but, you know, Billy Bobby Brown could play Leia. She looks enough like her. Yeah. Um, and like one of the kids that actually stood in for Luke when they deep faked him. They look enough like Mark Hamill. I mean, just leaving them alone. And Anthony Ingruber, I think, would be a great Han Solo. You know? Uh, he, and, and I'm disappointed he didn't get the chance. He was the first choice until Spielberg walked in and said, I want you to cast my accountant's son. You know, it's like, okay, okay, Stephen. <laughs> Good idea. Really, that rocked. Yeah. Okay. Um but I'm also glad he wasn't in that movie because it was so bad. Right. I, I torn it apart. I Maze dared me to watch it. So I'm drinking wine and watching it on my phone. My husband kept walking by as I'm yelling at the screen. And he's like, <laughs> why are you watching that then? And I'm like, it's a dare. And if I don't throw my phone through the TV set or shoot myself, you'll we'll all be lucky. I mean, oh, what a horrible movie. Oh, my God. And... I have to say, I got to see a very secret squirrel um, edition of uh, The Rise of Palpatine. And the only thing that was hilarious is when Kyle Ron dies. I mean, I was like, good, he's dead. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they, the, the thing about it is, the problem I have with Lucasfilm is there's still activists there. We know who we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. That guy, that guy, that woman, the story group. Um, and 
they're moving so slow. And the reason why is because she's still hovering around. Um, but the fact of the matter is we're going to see um, somebody uh, have to make a statement soon. Uh, because it's, look, the people making a statement that they're making this movie, they're going to start filming it soon. Fine. Who's going to be in the cast? All right. Is it going to be the Mandalorian, you know, uh, people that were in it, you know, Brendan Wayne under the, the armor and everything or, or what? Um, who, who, what, what else is going on with this? And uh, why are we being so, like, it's not the CIA, so what's going on here? And that's, that's my problem here yeah. with this. And the reason why is because Kennedy and, you know, I know a lot of people get up, get upset, but Sparrow has dropped a lot of really good stuff, and I have no reason not to believe it. No one does. Um, and I think the fandom needs to kind of step back and understand that making money is the thing is is the problem going going on right now. And if Lucasfilm does not produce good stuff, I mean, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was adequate. But I wanted, I, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is so, such a nasty person to, to just, she just is so smug and, ugh. Um, I couldn't get into that. I didn't feel sorry for a character. I didn't have any sympathy. Well, and the, um, bo the box office performance for it and the reviews were, were not kind. And, no, and, and the timing of it, you know, coming out of, out, out of con where, you know, they did the big premiere and then all of these negative reviews dropped the same week. Yeah. At the same time we get the cancellation of a couple of priority Willow gets memory hold that, yeah. you know, from a PR standpoint, that's, that's a lot of egg on Kathleen Kennedy's face all at once. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's one of those things where I've had a lot of discussions with, with people and uh, you know, that guy that knows that, that guy that was in uh, Indy 5, and he actually kind of stood in for Harrison Ford a few times. Um, he has a story about, about her. And he walks into the gym one morning. She's in there working. On, she's not like on the treadmill or on the elliptical or whatever. Mm. And she just gave him the dirtiest look. Okay. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. And the mean girl stuff that she pulled on Gina. That was unprofessional. She acted like a five-year-old. All right. Now, that being said, uh, Gina never should have gone on Twitter saying stuff she did. You keep your if you're if you're in that position, you keep your head down, you do your work, you go home. You're Joe Bag of Donuts. You know, you are you are the blue collar silent majority. OK, um, that also being said is I Gina had the perfect right to say that, to yeah. say that stuff. So it was one of those things where it's like you need to be quiet. You need to leave her alone. Okay, can we compromise? You act like a professional. You don't talk about this stuff anymore publicly, okay? Because you're not in the position. You're not Mel Gibson, okay? And we're all going to be happy. Because <laughs> if I got to referee another fight, I'm going to lose my mind. But it's okay? the but it's the internet. It's it's social media. There is no there is no professional courteous no, you know, consideration mean, or anything like that. The person that was talking to the reporter 
whose initials are PH, is about as professional as a 15-year-old. I mean, I really think that the fandom, in lots of ways, suffers from uh, arrested development. <laughs> and a lot of people that are, are in, that work in the, the business. I mean, the way Ryan Johnson treated people. Yeah. I mean, would you would never see Steven Spielberg do that. It's like, but he no. Um, well, and some of that I think I think comes from uh, the the social cues that people learn from, you know, being part of that generation that is on the internet all the time. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm in the last generation that's pre-internet. You know, yeah, I, I am you know, too. The, the the internet came out of you know the the late eighties, nineties, and the PC and and all of this other stuff. Yeah, I I didn't have any of that growing up, and the it, it there is a definite break in behavior patterns and expectations and manners yeah. and consideration and professionalism in that generation that grew up with the internet versus yeah. those of us who didn't. And I think that yeah. factors into it a lot of times because people just don't know how to socialize that way without some kind of device. Yeah, and they don't. Uh, like if if uh, Rudy's nieces are here hanging out and I'm literally like, put your phone down. Put your phone down. Okay. And they basically, the rule, because I told their mom, I said, if you guys are coming for Thanksgiving, those girls have to leave their phones in the car. It's rude. To, 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 to be sitting there doing that mm. at, you know, Thanksgiving when your relatives are there. Um, and it's just the way that, you know, these younger kids, the, and it's, you know, it's even people our age, like I'm 55 and I kind of look around going, you know, you wouldn't say that to my face. All right. Yeah. All right. And I'm not shy about being confrontational in, in real life. I'm not, okay? I mean, I'm the youngest of nine kids, and my family was a, a raucous bunch of crazies. Um, it, it It's really interesting watching these guys because they don't know, when they're in real life, they don't know how to sometimes read social cues. They don't realize that they don't have to be offended by something that they disagree with you on. Yeah. It's like... I don't like egg salad. How is that offensive to you? You know, stuff like that. Um, like today, uh, Variety put up a, a story about Alec Baldwin, and I love every minute of it. Um, as you know, I'm, I, I, we we collect uh, firearms, mm. and uh, I, you know, I'm a stickler for safety. I'm a, I'm a psycho about it. Yeah, and you know. There are people going, well, that's just not the rules on the set. I'm like, oh. so the rules on the set are you don't have to be safe with the firearm. Everybody knows the guy that has the pistol in his hand has to look, show you it's empty. Yeah. And he gives it to you as an empty. It's, it's open. You look at it, look, look that it's empty. And if you want to drive fire it, you shut it, you drive fire it to see if it, it triggers, and you don't point it at anybody. Okay. Right. It's another thing. Don't point a gun at anything you're not going to shoot. Get your finger off the trigger. You know, all, he broke every rule 
um, that yeah. you can imagine. And yeah, Any, are, anybody that says that there are not that many rules on set when it comes to firearms is an idiot. I, I've been I've been on the set myself. Yeah. Uh, during a production that involves uh, plenty of firearms, and there's all sorts of safety precautions that have to be taken. Yeah. In order to make sure that nobody nobody gets hurt, yeah. that that's just yeah. that's just a ridiculous thing. Now, uh, yeah. real quick, we do have some breaking news. Okay, uh, I want to I want to throw this out there for people because this this is the is this what you were talking about, uh, Mindy? Skydance has made an offer for Paramount Global. I saw that. This, this is this is new because uh, we've been talking. You know, we've been hearing rumors that Warner Brothers might do it. Skydance apparently has made a preliminary offer. Uh, David Ellison, Skydance Media, reported to have made an offer to purchase control of Paramount Global. Uh, over the last month, uh, dee, 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 uh, starting with David Ellison, Skydance, several potential buyers were reported to have held talks uh, with Sherry Redstone. Uh, the latest update is that talks with David Ellison have progressed the furthest. On Wednesday night, Bloomberg first reported... Ellison had made a preliminary offer to buy National Amusements. This was backed up by CNBC reporting Ellison wants to take all of Paramount Global private. Wow. Okay. Yep. Wow. I was okay. just sending or saying that the fact that um, Paramount has just announced that they are going to be laying off. I forgot how many, but a lot of employees well and what were we just saying about layoffs being preliminary or as exactly. part of deals or whatever they're trimming costs or cutting yeah. down everything they yeah. want to make so that, this is this, this kind of follows yeah so interesting so skydance could be buying star trek all right well i think uh, i mean that's tom cruise isn't it um uh sky i don't know is tom cruise involved in, in skydance I, I don't so. think he is he yeah. I'll look it up. Look it up. Okay, Mrs. Boss is looking it up. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think he's the biggest weirdo on the planet, but I respect his ability to get movies out. Yeah. And well, he, and, he, and 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 uh, Cruz just made that big deal with Warner Brothers. Oh yeah. Because that was what a lot of people were saying. You know, was was adding fuel to that fire that speculating that that Warner Brothers was about to make a deal for Paramount. Is that Cruz was making a deal? And, you know, he's got a new deal with Warner Brothers to make movies over there. Okay. Except he's also making Top Gun three. Yeah. And um, then you've got you know the next Mission Impossible thing coming out, and both of, is yeah. Mission Impossible Skydance, isn't it? Uh, Reacher. Yeah. Reacher is Skydance. Yeah, but Reacher's not. No, but look he's, how big it he's is. He's not in it, though. No, I know that. Is I'm he just a, saying. Is I'm he a producer on that? I'm looking this stuff up. You're looking this stuff up. Well, look faster. <laughs> Pay me more and I will. Um, I feed you. I cook for you. Oh, them's fighting words, man. I cook for you. Um, Hi, Cole Jack. Hi, buddy. Yeah. Chrono well, said the next Star Wars film should be Ewoks having a picnic. <laughs> Okay. I mean, okay. why not? I mean, it's, it's just as good a story as anything else. I tell you, though, I was I was kind of sort of looking forward to Rogue Squadron. I will admit. 
Um, before oh, before you knew the story before Warner Brother before Wonder Woman eighty four came out, I was kind of looking forward to that because I like those books that Stackpole wrote. Yeah, and yeah, they you know, were good. If we get any kind of an adaptation, then you know, hey, you've got material. Here, here's yeah. go. I wouldn't mind seeing. And you could recast Wedge because you haven't really seen Wedge in a lot. He's not a key character, but yeah, yeah that not. would that would be. Yeah, it's a shame that that fell apart. You know, I know why it fell apart. Well, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's stories. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, I'm just going to give you a hint. There was a cat fight. Oh. A cat fight. That's all I'm going to say. Well, and, and it's and it's interesting, too, because Rogue Squadron and, and Cleopatra both fell apart after Wonder Woman 84. And, yeah. you know, we heard the stories about Gal Gadot and, and Patty Jenkins having a little bit of a falling out because of things, yeah. you know, stuff and things. And yeah. she wasn't, and, and Jenkins wasn't going to direct that picture anymore. She was just staying on as a as an executive producer. So yeah. i i would I would say probably some of that may have even extended past whatever whatever happened at Lucasfilm. Jenkins probably was not in a very good position after Wonder Woman eighty four, and everything fell apart. It, I, I can't say, but the story. Is it's actually quite sad, um, and it gives me and it gives, you know, the the rumor that Kennedy has a no fire clause in her contract. Yeah, she can't be fired for cause. It gives that rumor some validity. All right, mm. because look, I mean, I wouldn't work with her for any reason whatsoever after the things that uh, I've I've heard. You know, just from uh, people on the inside, it's it's like she just she cannot keep her nose out of things, and then once it gets going, she doesn't care. What happened on Solo never should have happened. She didn't watch it daily until it was eighty like percent done, and then she's having a stroke. It's like I think if I'd seen the first dailies and how bad it was going, mm-hmm. I'd have stopped production right there. Got rid of Aaron Reich and got rid of those two directors, and basically told the Kasdans, "You need to do a better script." Okay, I don't like this. This is stupid. Um, we need. I mean, this cast. I mean, the, this is a, it was atrocious. But she waits till eighty percent of it's done. We're told, by the way. Yeah. You know, well, it's like. Even even in that in that on that front, you know, if you're an executive in charge of a production, whether it's at the executive producer level or the studio head level or whatever, yeah. Yeah. why didn't you read the script? Yeah, and, and you know? why did you and, let the script go out? And why did you yeah. not? Why weren't you on the set more? I mean, yeah, if if done? if you're into pre-production. Not 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 even say you're into principal photography, but in the pre-production phase, the the you should have pretty much a solid script at that point kind of locked in because that's you can't do scheduling and props and wardrobe and all of this other stuff without having a script to know exactly what it is that you're going to need for each scene. Oh, and, yeah. and if yeah. if you don't have that script, or at least most of it, 
you don't have a production yet. And why are you greenlighting a project if you don't have a script? So yeah, it's it the, solo solo was rife with uh mistakes and and problems uh all the way yeah. through, I think. Not not just it, not just her, but yeah. e every part of that process uh seemed like it was designed to fail. Absolutely, I agree absolutely on that. Um I I literally when I was watching it, I was like this this actually had a base to where it could have been good. But when you've got Phoebe Waller-Bridge doing the voice of that stupid droid, talking about Lando being in love with her, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, why would they do that to that character? I know. I know. Because a man can't be a womanizer. Mm -hmm. A man can't be a ladies' man. That's a bad thing. So they throw a droid in there, and then Pando Lando appears. And I felt so bad for Billy D. Williams because some idiot asked him about it. Yeah, I saw He's like, that. I don't, even, I don't even know what that is. You know? Yeah. I'm like, please, guys, just, this is, good. I mean, I suffered through it with Mays egging, egging me on. <laughs> and then did two videos tearing it apart because I knew it was going to suck. The only thing I can say is I'm glad Anthony Ingruber didn't get the role because he deserves better than that. He's a good guy. No. Um, you know, anyway, I got to go. All right. Yeah. Uh, do too. We uh, keep our eyes open and, uh, I tell people you'll never know when the big news drops, you know? So anyway, I'll okay. talk to you guys later. Thank All you right. for having me. Thanks, on. Stephanie. Thanks right. for calling in. All right. Bye everybody in the chat. All right. And so, so David's asking me if I've seen the, the Star Wars fan film wingman. I have not, I've heard about it. Uh, I'm familiar with the title, but I have not heard, uh, I, I've not seen it. Yes, Mrs. Boss? I was going to sit there and say, in regards to Tom Cruise, so he and Paula Wagner started Cruise Wagner Productions in 93. Yeah. And then when they broke away from doing anything with Paramount, uh, they went, that's when he got, they both got involved with United Artists. So not Skydance. So it's not, it is not Skydance. Okay. Um, but at this point, it is that, uh, you know, that's what he does. They still are very involved. He's back working with some stuff with Paramount, who's, you know, and in January it was announced that Producer Company was forming a new strategic partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery to develop and original, produce original franchise film oh here's an interesting thing as we as we wrap up tom connor's posting this it's a screen grab from an article from nbc news with daisy ridley kind of uh kind of poking a hole in the whole my fandom is sexist what all right so quote here's the here's the um here's the quote actor actor actress I, when did we start calling women actors? That's just just dumb it's for me. Been for a while. Daisy Ridley addressed the issue of sexism from Star Wars fans, telling uh, telling NBC's Today Show that she thinks has been blown out of proportion. 
Ridley, who plays Ray in the Blockbuster franchise, appeared Blockbuster franchise used to be, appeared on the show Thursday, was asked about some online uproar from fans after filmmaker Charmaine Obeid Shinoy was announced as the director of the next Star Wars movie, New Jedi Order. Now remember, she was announced in July, and this brouhaha over this director has been recent because of all of the different media coverage of her, the whole I want to make men uncomfortable thing. We've known about this activist documentary producer since July. Or when when was when was celebration? It was July, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, so here's here's a quote from Ridley. I think my take is things get blown out of proportion and the interaction interactions I've ever had with people talking about fans, have been nothing but wonderful and supportive, Ridley said. I've only ever been embraced, and I think we're going to make a great film. So, uh, Daisy Ridley seems to be putting the kibosh on this notion that the media has put out there that my, my Star Wars fans are toxic. You go long enough, folks the narrative starts to kind of fall apart. Doesn't it? Isn't it interesting how that all works? Curious. Just curious. All right. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here tomorrow on the program. Uh, assuming that uh, the creek don't rise and uh, anybody shows up, we will have open line Friday. Um, we'll see. We'll see how many people call in. I, I may change this. Open line Friday might go away. I'm just saying. I, it was, it's, you know, yeah. Here's all the social medias, the Discord, and the links and the whatnot for you to uh, get in touch with us. Do jump in over on the Discord. Join the conversation there. And uh, be back tomorrow. And next week... I got I got a busy week. Sean Boldman will be here on Monday. Chris uh, Weatherman will be here on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be talking some some different things next week. And oh, I should I should tease this. In coming in February, I don't have a date yet. Coming in February, Harry Turtle Dove will be a guest. And we're just pinning down, we're just trying to pin down a date. So uh, stick around, folks. Things are going to get better, interesting, more. Uh, what's faster, more intense? We're about to get faster, more intense here, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, the uh, politicians hate you, the media lies to you, but God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2024, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.